when I started seeing my physical fitness and looking at my athleticism and my performance as a human, not mm-hmm. just on the racetrack, um, and then seeing the difference between eating vegan and eating Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. and just kind of how that was affecting my body, I started to realize the difference between f- food as a pleasure source and food as a fuel. That's NASCAR driver Landon Castle this week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show or welcome back. My name is Rich Roll. I am your friendly neighborhood podcast host, and I am on a mission. And the mission is simple, to help you live and be better. So each week, I sit down with the best and the brightest across all categories of life, health, and excellence to educate, inform, and inspire you to unlock your ultimate potential as a human being in this brief three-dimensional incarnation that we find ourselves in so that you can unleash the best, most authentic version of that self on the world at large. So thanks for sharing a little time with me today. Thank you for subscribing to the show on iTunes, for spreading the word on social media, for subscribing to my newsletter, and for clicking through the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com for all your Amazon purchases. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everybody for all the great feedback on last week's show with Tom Harden, a.k.a. Tipper X. I'm really proud of Tom for showing up for that interview, and I'm really proud of how I conducted that interview, and I'm really glad that you guys enjoyed it. And most of all, I really appreciate all the love that everybody sent Tom in anticipation of his 24-hour run, which was just the other day. And I wanted to update you guys. I just got an email from him yesterday, and unfortunately, not everything went according to his plan. Uh, The good news is, is that he was in the lead of this race for the first seven hours, but then his Achilles started to flare up, and it started to flare up in a really bad way, and he was basically compelled to drop out of the race at just over 11 hours uh, just to protect himself from any kind of permanent uh, injury. But no doubt he will be back soon. And again, thank you for all the support that you guys showed him. Today on the show, we've got Landon Castle, who is Landon Castle, uh, NASCAR driver, triathlete, and quite surprisingly, you might think, given the very specific culture of NASCAR, a plant-based athlete. So let's run down a couple things that he has accomplished. He was the 2008 NASCAR Nationwide Series Rookie of the Year. In 2013, Landon broke the track record at the famous Gresham Motorsports Park track. And he currently pilots the number 40 Chevrolet SS for the Hillman Circle Sports LLC team. And on top of that, he also pilots the number one Flex Seal Chevrolet for JD Motorsports in the NASCAR Nationwide Series. So NASCAR, or I guess I should say car racing in general, is a mysterious world I personally came into this interview knowing very little about. So it was really fun to explore Landon's personal story, the culture of NASCAR, and what it takes to toe the line at races like the Daytona 500, and how diet and triathlon, and specifically triathlon training, plays into Landon's daily success equation. I found Landon to be a really humble guy, a great guy, an extremely likable guy. And I think it's fair to say that he is a living example of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours edict. And at only 24 years of age, 24, this guy's so young, Landon exudes a life led by passion. 
And he's an example of the amazing things that can happen when that passion meets drive, focus, and many, many years of hard work and determination. Uh, a little fun aside, since we sat down for this conversation, next week on, on May 24th, Landon's going to be racing the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And as if uh, racing this 600-mile uh, race wasn't enough or wasn't taxing enough, after completing uh, what is NASCAR's longest race of the season, that same day, right after the race, he's going to tack on an additional 14-mile run. He's going to go from the Charlotte Motor Speedway all the way to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So I guess you could say he is pioneering a new form of multi-sport, and I think that's super cool. Uh, he asked me to join him, and I so wish that I could fly out there and do it with him, but alas, I'm going to be in Sun Valley for a speaking event, and I couldn't do it. So I'm really hoping that it goes well, and he does it again so that I can join him in the future. Uh, before we get into it, here's a question. What might you imagine Landon drives around town when not on the track? You're going to have to listen to find out. His answer might surprise you. Hey, everybody. Like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science based habit building program designed by my well-being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up-level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well-being, courtesy of a doable, evidence-based 12-week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com slash livingproof. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested, or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. 
We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. So let's step into my version of Talladega Nights and sort out the fascinating life of Landon Castle. Vroom, 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 I love NASCAR. Yeah, this is super cool for me uh, to talk to you. Um, and we get to delve into a world that uh, I know little, very, very little about, <laughs> but I'm excited to learn about. It, so. Am I the first NASCAR driver to be definitely. on the podcast? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I knew that answer already. Yeah, that's for sure. Certainly the uh, first vegan NASCAR driver. You, you've got to be the only one, right? Um, Somebody, is anybody else? Well, that I know of, yeah. That's uh, there's another driver in sports car racing named Andy Lally. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He's a vegan. Um, and there's a female driver in the Arca series, which is a couple steps below NASCAR. Right. Um, she's a vegan, and she makes a big difference. Leilani um, Mueller. Yeah, Leilani Munter. Munter, that's her name, right? I know because she like didn't she drape her car with blackfish when the movie yeah, came out yep, and stuff? Yep. I remember that. Yeah, she does a she does a pretty good job, and mm-hmm. and um, and then uh, some some of my training friends that are that are drivers, I've uh, been able to, to kind of inspire them to check out their lifestyles and and uh-huh. uh, eating habits. But uh, nobody's fully committed. <laughs> but there's <laughs> a lot of publicly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a few um, vegans and and vegetarians just in the industry mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> that I really didn't find out until uh, just like eating at the track and. Uh, there's a service and a, uh, a lady that runs what's called the Garlic Garage, and she's inside the garage at the racetrack, and she uh-huh. feeds all the race teams um, 
and uh, and she has a handful of vegan and vegetarian. Uh. Um, Does she travel? She travels to all the races, so it's the same person. Yeah, so she's got like a trailer, and um, <clears throat> and she's got cooks and grills and all kinds of stuff, and uh-huh. they and they feed uh, you know a bunch of sweaty men and right. women and workers and. But then and she sees guys. you coming. Oh, here comes Landon! Like yeah. she knows what you want. And, like, yeah, and she does, and she does really well. She's the the biggest. I mean, she. Uh, she takes super good care of me. She she just has to cook for so many people on a weekend that like right. for me to be like, um, I'm plant based, <laughs> so you know I don't eat that, you know. But she's she's uh, the 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 thing that really helps me out the most. And and like my wife and I, when my wife became vegetarian um, like eight years ago, she my wife Katie is sitting mm-hmm. here with us, and um, she's a she's been vegetarian for eight years. Yeah. So, um. <clears throat> uh, she, her biggest thing was like, I'm not going to be a pain in the butt vegetarian. I'm not going right. to sit at a, at an Applebee's, you know, and annoy and, everybody. Annoy everybody. And so I kind of adopted that myself as well. Like when I, especially in the environment that I'm in and the people mm-hmm. that I work with, it's like I'm not going to drive my my uh, peers crazy. So Jackie at the Garlic Garage is, helps me out a lot with that, just because she focuses on buying like organic foods. And she's really good at like making quinoa salads, like the easy stuff, right. you know, hummus and things that like, if I just got to eat at the track, I don't have to worry about like, hey, did you make some super food, you know? <laughs> like, right, right, did right. You put, what'd you put in that? You know, I don't really have to worry about that. Usually if there's a quinoa salad or something, I can, mm-hmm. that'll hold me over till I get back well, to that. There's top. always like strategies, you know, for that, like to be discreet so you don't have to be that person who's paid in the end like you could pull her aside and slip her you know a couple 20s or whatever yeah. every other week or whatever just to keep it on the down low and you know like make sure that she's taking care of you yeah yeah like she that. she does good i mean it's <clears throat> when we've had we obviously i've i've been so i've i've been vegan for a little over a year now mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> and so i've been eating with her at the track for a little over a year and and i would say it took eight months of like Oh, that looks really good. What's in it? You know, mm. <clears throat> oh, you're really going to like it. It's vegetarian. Right. You know, it's feta. And mm, I might skip the feta today. Is there anything else? Right, you know, and, right. and so it's like it took a long time of that. And now she kind of. <laughs> for her to like wrap her brain right, around what right. it is exactly that but, you're, you're but she, And like I said, she cooks for so many people and she makes so many different dishes. And they've got chickens and sandwiches and other, right. you know, all kinds of stuff that they're making for guys that it's like, I just try to come in and be like, hey, you got anything? Mm. Anything good for me today? And, right, and um, it's all good. So what? Uh, so you've been doing this for a year. I mean, what inspired you to check out this way of eating and living and everything? Um, so, like I said, my wife has been vegetarian for eight years, and we had always kind of talked about. Well, I say we. She she had talked about always thinking about going vegan and mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of cutting out those last two. And she knows. She, she didn't really drink milk or anything like that. We never had milk in the house, and and uh, and we got to the point that um, when we first got married, she was pretty much cooking vegan in the house. We just weren't eating that way uh-huh. outside the house, you know. And then <laughs> me certainly not. Um, like <clears throat> you married a NASCAR driver, you know that, right? <laughs> right. Like, you know, I got a <laughs> reputation. I got to be seen with my Mountain Dew, <laughs> right? <laughs> So we um, we got married in December of 2012, and um, and I we were talking about it earlier today, and I think our our plant based kickoff was Super Bowl 
of 2013, which was mm. kind of funny because um, that's become a tradition for us. Was like we have a big old vegan Super Bowl party to ourselves. Right. So far, we've had three years of a. We've had three Super Bowls together. Three, two, Uh-oh. two. 13, 12. I disagree. 13, 14, and 15. Couple. 13, 14, and 15. <laughs> We've had three Super Bowl parties together and um, two people at each Super Bowl party. Right, like no comers. Like right. You're inviting a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, yeah, yeah no, I don't no, that's so. just us. <clears throat> no chicken wings? Yeah, no, no. We've got cauliflower buffalo uh, wings. <laughs> but um, so it started out with a big vegan Super Bowl party and um, she's just always cooked vegan and. Um, 2013, 14, or 2013, you know, was eating vegan at home, and uh, but not like on my side of it personally, not no interest in plant based diet, mm-hmm. really no knowledge of it, just like that's how I ate at home. And fortunately, right. I'm a pretty flexible, like non, not very picky eater, and and she's a great cook, so I just loved it. Right. But I, you know, go on the road, and I mean, my favorite thing in the world was Chick fil A, like Chick fil A sandwich, like that's just. You know, so delicious, right? And so uh, towards the end of 2014, uh, or 2013, I'm sorry, I'm getting my years mixed up. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, just, we were racing, and I, I drive for small race teams, and we struggle. I mean, our teams don't have a lot of money. We don't have mm-hmm. a lot of resources. We, you know, it's hard to compete with teams like Jimmy Johnson's, who mm-hmm. spend a million a week, right? We spend mm-hmm. 100000 a week. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds like a lot to me, though. Right, it's a, it is a lot, but it's and in, in, in NASCAR, I mean, the more employees, the more people, the better your car can run. Right. And uh, I just got to that end of the year, and and um, was kind of you know Jimmy Johnson won his sixth championship out of the last seven years, mm-hmm. and and uh, kind of looked myself in the mirror and was like, am I doing all I can as an athlete? And um, and I, I couldn't say yes to that. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't tell myself that I was being the best race car driver I could be for my team, for myself. And so the first inspiration was, you know, my fitness and what kind of athlete am I? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd always kind of worked out, tried to stay in shape, uh, but not, was never in, never committed to it for my job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my dad at the time was, doing duathlons and running a lot which is really funny you know my dad's turns 50 this year Uh so you know he he was always like my age right (laughs) he's always like kind of pushing me and um and and so i i i made a commitment to to uh that that i well it wasn't even a commitment i had to you know i needed to invest in myself and my career and so i started working out and and at that point when i started seeing my physical fitness and looking at my athleticism and my performance as a human, not mm-hmm. just on the racetrack, um, and then seeing the difference between eating vegan, um, a, a home cooked meal from my wife, and eating Chick Fil A, mm-hmm. and just kind of how that was affecting my body, I started to realize the difference between f- food as a pleasure source and food as a fuel. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, that's when I picked up your book. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! That's cool. <clears throat> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of a elementary thing, but also a revelatory thing. It's like, oh, no duh, you know yeah. what I mean. But then when you actually experience it, you're like, oh wow, like this whole world kind of opens up to you. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's the for me the if I had to sum 
just everything up, athletic performance and and food and, and, and whatever it may be, it's, it's, it's about fuel and how you fuel your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you really, I mean, if you, if you want to put yourself on the edge as an athlete, uh, like I do, you know, when in a race car and training for triathlon, uh, you have to be treating the food that's going in your body as, as rocket fuel. Mm-hmm. And you can't be putting garbage in your body and expecting rocket results. Right, right, right. And, and, um, <clears throat> for me, it was like one step was, you know, eating cleaner, right? But but then but then I'm doing homework and I'm just like, you know, the meats and the the animal protein that's going to my body isn't is kind of counteracting some of the things that that I'm trying to accomplish here. And so uh, so we we decided um, in early 2014 to just try it. You know, mm-hmm. and it was easy for her. She was mm-hmm. most of the way there, Hard just there. not. You know, we we were wine and cheese people and right. things like that, but it was kind of like, hey, let's actually let's actually go for this and and see what happens. Uh-huh. Um, and I was reading books and doing my homework, reading, read, you know, Eat to Run and Brendan ba- Brazier's book, right, and right. Read your book, and it was just like, man, there's a lot of people out here that are that have legitimate stories that are, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 just just doing doing the homework and like. It kind of reached a point where the only thing left to do was to try it ourselves. Right. And so you jumped in. I mean, was it a hard, was it hard? I mean, what was hard, like getting, what was the hardest part for you making the switch? Um, the, so I've got the same experience that a lot of people probably have where it's like, oh man, the first week was amazing. The second week was, you know, it was tough, (laughs) right? The third week was struggle, man. The pink cloud. Right. Exactly. And, and so, like, I definitely have that. But the, the unique thing in my experience was week two for me, I started traveling. Mm-hmm. And I had not only was I new to eating a plant-based diet, I was going to strange places. And yeah, that's making it super hard all of a sudden, like right yeah. off the bat. The, the first week was easy. You know, my wife was making smoothies. I mean, gosh, this was beautiful. It's a honeymoon stage for us. I mean, Mm -hmm. my run, my, I mean, instant results as an athlete, recovery. I mean, especially when you go from what I was doing, you know, eating just completely as a pleasure source, Mm -hmm. um, to a plant-based diet. So I started traveling and it was like, I mean, my, my first trip was in Daytona. Daytona Beach, Florida, <laughs> right, right, you right. Know, plant-based central, <laughs> <laughs> just a mecca of yeah. plant-based uh, meals and everything. <laughs> no, I, I had a, um, I had a trip to Daytona Beach, Florida for three days and um, I'm pretty sure I didn't eat for a day Wow. Be- just because I was so determined and I was so committed, but yet there was nothing, nothing there. I didn't know what to do, you know, it wasn't, right. so I just... I just didn't eat for the day because I was eating almonds, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just like eating raw almonds, like this is in a banana. Like that's yeah. all I can think of. You get some crappy salad or get yeah. like a pasta dish or something like yeah. that. That's about the best you're going to do. Well, and the other, do. the other funny thing about the first, especially the first six months, like not only were we, was I on board, it was like, well, I want to say first, I can't remember how long, but I'm, I'm looking at my wife right now and she's, <laughs> she doesn't know what I'm about to say. Like the first part of it was like, you know, raw, plant-based, like as clean as it gets, mm-hmm. right? Like I had pretty high standards for myself at the beginning. 
and that's that's tough. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's that's a hard thing to do. So, I mean, we went to Daytona, and and I found a little health food store um, called Love's Whole Foods, and there's two of them in Daytona, and I mean, I pretty much lived there. Right, and they had little pre-made stuff, and huh. and it, that was kind of my intro to like these grocery stores and what they carry and. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what you can buy, and then and then for me, just what gets me through the day. You know, my first trip was like, oh man, this is awesome. I got a few things here, you know, and then I eat them, and I'm hungry two hours later. Right, right. So, so then I'm, you know, I'm going through this stage in the first couple months of okay, do I need to be like counting calories? Do I need to be measuring things? And um, yeah, and you really can't afford to be <clears throat> off. Like you're racing, and you've got to be at your peak. Right. And, you know, you can't afford to not eat or you know go eat something crappy. Right. And you're trying to balance all of these things. I mean, <clears throat> you know, that makes it very different from somebody who's working a nine to five job, going home every night. Yeah. And, and you're you freewheeling can, it, and you're brand new to it. Right. Like, you can check out a day of work or something, right. and, and 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 that's a. I mean, that's a great point because that that kind of segues into our first real experience. So that that first. Three day deal was was our preseason thunder, our 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 spring training, so to speak, in Daytona, and then we come back two weeks later to Daytona for the real thing for the mm-hmm. Daytona 500, and um, and so like I felt like as a you know fueling my body and learning the traveling ropes of being plant based, I failed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was going to Smoothie King and basically cutting out everything in their smoothie and just getting the fruit mm-hmm. mixed up. And so uh, we came back to Daytona, and, and I had to qualify my car into the Daytona 500. I had to race my way in, and I was trying to kind of hold myself to this new standard, this lifestyle that we really wanted, and 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 uh, and how I was you know just going to be cleaner and be healthier. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it was, <clears throat> it, we we did really well while we were down there, and did the, the right amount of grocery sh- shopping. And by then, I had kind of figured out that like. I'm not a measuring person. I'm not a counter. I'm not, you know, carbs this and protein that. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of, I was a month and a half into it and I could actually kind of eat by feel. And uh, and I think that's an important thing. I kind of tell a lot of people that 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 ask me, you know, like, okay, so how much protein do you get or how much this mm-hmm. and that do you get? And for me, it's like, I just learn what I need, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I know that before a workout, I'm not going to eat, you know, a giant almond butter, <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, I'm not going to make a a huge oatmeal smoothie with, you know, peanut butter and everything before workout. I know the fruits and the, the sugars I might need before and the protein and the carbs and whatever it may be. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that's an important point, you know, when you're <clears throat> beginning and also throughout, like it has to be sustainable. You know, you've got to learn how your body reacts to certain things. And when people ask me about ratios and stuff like that, I'm like, I don't know. I just yeah. eat really clean as, mo- <laughs> as, as best as I can, yeah. as often as I can. And, you know, nature kind of takes care of it, the rest of it. Um, because if I get into overanalyzing everything and measuring and all that kind of stuff, like I'm going to burn out. Like I can't do that for every meal all the time, every day. Yeah, I mean, and you really, um, it, you really have to listen like you have to listen to your body, and that sounds it's such a like buzzword thing to say um but but your your body will tell you if if you if you pay attention to what you eat and how it makes you feel, like your body will tell you mm-hmm. over time what you want and what it wants mm-hmm. and um and like i said i mean i I know the things finally, especially a year later, 
um, if whether it's a run or a bike ride or a swim, and or 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 a race in my race car. I mean, uh, I know what my body needs now, and and so I can kind of feed it that fuel, right? And and I don't have to worry about it. So and, how did that how did that Daytona go for you? It went well. It was actually one of the best ones for us. Um, I was properly fueled <clears> up and. And, uh, and my, I had my wife down there with me that time too. Maybe that was why mm. I was properly fueled up because I mm. did the first trip by myself. And, um, and I made the Daytona 500 with a team that had no sponsorship. Wow. And, uh, and we had no like locked in pedigree to get into the Daytona 500. We had to race our way in. Uh-huh. So explain how that works. Like I want to, <clears throat> I want to kind of, in a minute, I want to get into kind of like the whole NASCAR culture and all of that. But like, what does that mean? You had to race your way in. So um, at pretty much all the races, but especially the Daytona 500, which is our first race of the season, and it's the most prestigious race, um, there's more cars show up than are going to get race. to race. Mm-hmm. And NASCAR has um, a sort of points pedigree similar to like a franchising system for 36-ish, 35-ish of the cars of the 43-car field. So... Mm-hmm those last seven spots are opened for kind of an at-large type gotcha. position. And so the goal of a, you know, if you were to start a race team tomorrow, your goal would be to get one of those at-large positions, but you got to earn it in every race. Right. So how do you earn that? You just race you a got, bunch of other races. Well, you got to qualify at that mm-hmm. specific race. And a lot of, in a lot of races, your entire company <clears throat> relies on how your driver does in one qualifying lap. Mm-hmm. And in Daytona, it's through a qualifying race. Um, so the goal as a, as a startup race team is to, okay, let's get into Daytona. If we can make Daytona, we run well, if we can get ourselves high enough in the points, we can be in that top, you know, section of, of mm-hmm. teams, but there's no set franchise. Gotcha. There's nobody's in there for life. Gotcha. So we were at the time we had no pedigree. We had no, we had nothing. And, and so we raced our way in and we finished 12th in the right. Daytona 500. Wow. We made like. Three hundred fifty thousand dollars, like right, it's, right, you right. know, it's a huge payday for the team. That's crazy, and uh, and it kickstarted our year. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. That's cool. So let's take it back a little bit. Um, uh, you know, racing is something you've been doing your whole life. Like you were, I mean, according to Wikipedia, you're like winning races <laughs> when you were three years old. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you've put in your Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. I mean, this is not yeah. something you, you decided, you know, at age 20, you wanted to get into, like, this is running through your blood, like from probably as far back as you can remember in your life. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, I, I read his book and, um, she read his book first mm-hmm. and gave it to me and I read it. And um, uh, the 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 outliers, right? right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, when I read that, it and and he and Liz read about him talking about ten thousand hours, and that's how long it takes to be an expert at something. Is it was actually a time in my career where uh, Katie and I were dating, and it was tough. And I was like, it was kind of a confidence booster for me cause mm-hmm. to think about how long I had been racing because I was struggling at the time. Like, man, am I supposed to be doing this? I'm not doing too well in racing. And, mm-hmm. You know, NASCAR is pretty hard on me right now. And and then I realized, man, I've put in my 10,000 hours. I am an expert mm-hmm. at this, and I can do this. And, and um, you're, I mean, what are you, 24? I'm 25. You're 25 years old. Yeah. Like, and is there anybody s- younger than you in NASCAR? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, are there? I mean, yeah, there definitely are. In fact, I'm kind of one of the veterans right now. Really? But I started, I definitely started young. So going back, so my background, like I started at a young age. I'm from Iowa. I grew up mm. um, in a car dealer family, you know, 
selling used cars and so and uh, so a bunch of gearheads. Yeah, a bunch of gearheads. My dad's a gearhead and. And, um, I mean like fixing old cars on the weekend and that pretty kind of much. Thing? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it's my like dad right out of a movie. Yeah, it, it, it really is. <laughs> and we didn't like, you know, my dad didn't grow up racing stock cars or anything on oval tracks, but he drag raced and was a car guy. And, and, um, just from a young age, I loved NASCAR. I loved racing. And so my parents kind of got me into go-karts. Well, they got me into mm-hmm. four-wheelers, and we rode those on the weekends together, but then got me into go-karts and started racing competitively. And, right, and your dad's psyched, right, because he's already yeah. into this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, and he was... Uh, he was a, he, My dad's a really good leader, and he's a really good at kind of opening the door and turning the light on, uh-huh. you know, and kind of... But not pushing you in type right. thing. And um, and so I, I moved into go-karts and... and you know, my dad taught me to work on them and to build them. And, and his rule was, you know, if you wreck it, you have to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he helped prepare them and things like that. But if I wrecked it, I always had to fix it. <clears throat> so that kind of that kind of was ingrained in me early on. And, and, I, and through that, I learned how to build my cars and moved up to full-size stock cars mm-hmm. where we were racing around the country and traveling. On How old were you when that was going on? Um, I was like 13, 14. Wow. Yeah. So traveling around like out of school and yeah. like racing Missed cars Missed a lot of instead. school. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And and that's got to be, I mean, is that <clears throat> usual that like the, the the drivers like know that much about how to how to build the engines and all that kind of stuff or are you unusual in that? Um, no, nah, I mean it's it's probably 50-50. It really depends on your background. I mean, there's a lot of drivers coming up that have really good resources behind them and 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 racing like the late model racing. When I say late model, that's like full size stock cars, but at a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we were traveling the country with a truck and trailer and, and racing, and and really hitting big money events like just trying to trying to win ten grand mm-hmm. or trying to trying to win this this you know famous race. These are and, like and it, you got. I mean, it's expensive to do this, right? Like, yeah. how are you like pulling it together to get the trailer and like all that? I mean, it's like not a small. Like, if well, you're in, you got to be in all the way. Yeah, right? I mean, you do, and that's where. So, like, to do what we were doing in those races now, I mean, there's it's really competitive, and you have to have a team behind you. So, so what what we were accomplishing then was, you know, me and my dad, and and we had some volunteers that helped us. And Uh and then once it got really serious and we had some sponsorship and we actually hired a guy, we paid him 25,000 a year. Right. And he, he was my crew chief, right. Right, right. He helped me build the race cars. And, um, you know, that, that, that was a tough thing to do back then. And we didn't win all the races. I mean, we weren't the biggest team. We didn't have the best stuff, but, Mm -hmm. but somehow I caught the eye of, of, well, first of all, an agent when I was 15. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and he was kind of a talent scout at the time, was representing some big drivers, and and um, and he got me in front of the right people right. to get an opportunity eventually with Hendrick Motorsports, which is like the New York Yankees of right, right, right. of NASCAR. He's so like, I see something in this kid. Yeah, this kid's got the goods. Yeah, He's bringing the pretty, heat. Yeah, pretty much. Uh huh. And um, and a lot of that, at the end of the day, a lot of that opportunity, a lot of that uh, allure comes from knowing my race car, building it, working on it. Like, you know, they, they liked to see me win races, but to win races in my car, and they all knew what I had, you know, the mm-hmm. scouts out there, the people that are paying attention to young drivers, they knew what I had. They knew what I was working with. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't in under, you know, I wasn't in like 
bottom end equipment. I had good stuff, but I had to put it together myself, right? right? And um, they knew what we had, and that played a big part of it. So I got this opportunity to be in front of GM Racing and Chevrolet mm-hmm. against a bunch of other drivers, and <clears throat> and I did really well in that event and got a contract offer from Hendrick Motorsports. Wow! And uh, and the offer from Hendrick was to be Jimmy Johnson's test driver. Wow! And um, and you're 16 at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was or I was just turning 17. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I moved. <laughs> You're to North like Carolina. technically not even supposed to be driving a car at all. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. And and I um. Are you? By the way, are you like when you're 14? <clears throat> are you driving on the street like illegally? Like no. you're racing cars? <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to drive on the road. No, I I, I got my license the regular way like everybody <laughs> else did. I sat through uh-huh. driver's ed and uh-huh. and <laughs> failed my um my test the first time and yeah. passed it the second time and. That's Same great. You else. failed the test the first time. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. But um, but I moved to North Carolina from Iowa when I was uh, seventeen. I finished high school early, mm-hmm. and my grandmother and I moved down together to Charlotte. To Charlotte, yeah. That's like that's like racing mecca, right? Yeah, it's pretty much where you have to be. You gotta go there. It's like like having to move to Hollywood or something if right. you want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And so from there, when when does NASCAR come into the picture? So right then and there, um, mm-hmm. I was I was working for Hendrick Motorsports. I was young and was getting paid to drive race cars for a living, and I was Jimmy Johnson's test driver. Right. So so what does that entail? I mean, you get in, you drive the car around before he gets in it, and say, "Work on this. This isn't. This doesn't feel yeah, right." Yeah. There's or- there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of scenarios there. A lot of it had to do with the rules that NASCAR has around um, their testing, because you you know in NASCAR you can't just take the car to the racetrack. It's against the rules. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of get creative. You have to take it to other racetracks. At the time, the, the rules have changed since then. But at that time, you could kind of take it to some tracks uh, with a unlicensed driver, but you couldn't take your primary driver to certain tracks. Mm. And um, conveniently for me, which I love telling people this, my driving style is very similar to Jimmy Johnson's, mm-hmm. which is a nice thing to say when mm-hmm. you know he's probably the greatest driver right. to ever walk the earth and he's still racing, right? Um, so my driving style was very similar to Jimmy's, so I kind of fit right into his car. What is that fit. style? Um, like technically in the car, we're both very smooth with the throttle. We're not like jamming the gas, you know, you're not going to hear pounding and shifting gears and just, mm-hmm. um, slamming on the brakes into the corner. We're very smooth. We, we drive a, a term you could use is like we drive the throttle with the pedals rather than the steering wheel. So we kind of keep the steering wheel straight and, mm-hmm. and let the car steer itself. Mm. Um, so because of that similarity, my feedback is similar to his. So when I feel in a car, he'll also right, feel. it's a good fit. So there, <clears throat> I mean, I did a ton of different types of tests, but in the, in the general scheme of things, um, I could take like a, a list of a hundred things that the crew chief might want to see. Like they, they've got a hundred ideas that might make their car go faster and I can narrow it down to 10 and then give it to them and say, okay, all those other 90 things were garbage, but these 10 you mm-hmm. guys need to try. Mm-hmm. And then from that point, Jimmy could, Jimmy and his crew chief, Chad, could figure out what the best things worked for them. Mm-hmm. And how did Jimmy, like, treat you? Like, did, um, what was that good. interaction like? Good, good. He's, and he's actually still a friend. He's, um, yeah. he's also a triathlete. So, oh, he is? Cool. Uh, so we, we do train together and, and things like that. But... Um, he uh, he's really good. Jimmy's a really really good guy, and he would treat anybody um, 
well, but we we seem to we we work together well and like i said our feedback was good and and um and there was a lot of times that that i could kind of i i definitely learned from him and and being that my driving style started similar to his like after working mm-hmm. with him and and being able to watch him it probably adapted even more so right like right him. right and what an amazing experience for you <clears throat> to go from what you were doing and literally be inserted right into the middle of probably the we- the best, most well-oiled, yeah. you know, highly funded, best equipment, yeah. best crews, like across the board, and to be able to observe and learn from from all of that. Yeah, I mean, it <clears throat> at the time, like you said, they, I mean, they and they still are. They're still one of the best funded teams, and and um, and I had, you know, within that team, I had my own engineer mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. worked on like our projects when we went testing. And, um, and it was pretty cool. Like I, I was able to kind of, that, that was my resume builder. Cause there was a lot of young drivers at the time that were getting chances to race in other things. And I wasn't racing as much. I was testing more mm-hmm. and kind of running part-time race schedules, which was a good and bad thing for my career. I mean, on the bad side of it, <clears throat> if I were just racing my own car, I mean, man, that's, you know, how can you replace that? Right. Um, that opportunity. And I could have had a chance at winning races and really showing people what I can do. But I was uh, the the good side of what I was doing was um, apprenticing. I was, with the I was best. apprenticing, yeah, and yeah. and I had this resume that I that when it was time for me to pursue racing opportunities, because obviously I didn't want to be a test driver forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to go to these small struggling race teams that um, that had no pedigree, that couldn't get their cars into the race. Mm-hmm. They they would show up at the track with their employees and all their, you know, they're betting the farm on one qualifying lap right. and couldn't go fast enough to get in. <laughs> and so I was able to go to these teams and say like, you know, I don't know if I can do it or not, but look, this is what I've been doing for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it started out that there was a team that had, had DNQ'd for the last six weeks in a row and they put me in the car and we never missed a race from the rest of the year. Wow. And uh, and it saved it saved their company. I mean, it kept them from going out of business. Right, that's amazing. So that was how you just inserted yourself into the driver's seat and started, yeah, you know, moving on and growing and it, from there. And it was really, um, it was kind of an interesting route for me because I, uh, you know, young drivers like myself always picture ourselves, you know, showing up as the hot rookie and uh-huh. winning our first race and kissing the trophy girl and <laughs> yeah. you know taking all the sponsors home with them, right? And you know, and just making all the money, right? And, uh, and I kind of showed up <clears throat> and, you know, was driving for these small sprint cup teams with no sponsors. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any money. They didn't, you know, the, and, and the, the job wasn't to go win the race. The job wasn't, you know, we, we, in fact, we knew we couldn't win the race. You're going to the racetrack knowing you can't win the race. You're not going to win the race. Our goal was because to the make equipment the race. is just not, it's, yeah, it's, it's just not going to happen with, just you, not with what you're living with. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, um, I've started races knowing we couldn't make it to the end of the race, let alone wow. win the race. Our goal was to make the race and get last place prize money so uh-huh. that we could pay our overhead. <laughs> like that, that's, Yeah, I mean, that's a reality check on it like, what it's like to really be just like a yeoman driver. In the, in yeah, the I mean, spot, it's right? it, it's kind of a journeyman story a yeah. little bit. And um, but But what really worked for me and what built my foundation and in my career as a race car driver... Uh, when I when I actually became a professional race car driver, wasn't when I was seventeen. It wasn't when I was eighteen. I I, I won the rookie of the year in the mm-hmm. in the nationwide series when I was eighteen. Um, 
you know, I was getting paid to, to drive cars and that's how I made my living. But I became a professional race car driver um, around 2010 and 11 when, mm-hmm. when I had to drive for small teams that relied on my performance and, mm-hmm. and relied on my communication with the team to, to put together a fast car and get into the race and pay our bills. Right. And so tell me how it, how it works with these teams. I mean, basically, it's all driven by getting sponsors, right, who can fund these teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is the <clears throat> difference between, you know, what Jimmy Johnson has going on with, you know, just kind of like one of those teams that's struggling? Like, it's just sponsored dollars. And what do those dollars buy that gets you on par, you know, at least with respect to your crew and the car that you're driving? So... Really, I mean, it's you're right. It's it's very sponsor driven to get the performance you need. I mean, and, and we have, and we're not. I mean, we're not just all walking around with our hands out, going, "Well, we can't win until we get sponsors." You know, we need mm-hmm. a sponsor. Like, we actually do have a product that's valuable to sponsors, and 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 it's, but it's difficult to sell that. I mean, it's a sales because job. of the visibility. At, yeah, uh, all I mean, these you, races. you know, the better you do, the more right. you get seen. The more you get seen, the more you can offer your sponsors, things like that. So. Um, so there's a chicken or the egg type thing of like how you're going to, um, you know, sell these deals and how you create value. But, you know, you look at a team like Hendrick Motorsports and Jimmy Johnson's team who probably, um, you know, spends a million a week, you know, there's, there's, there's been, been documents out there and things with other teams that, that, you know, a lot of industry people know what our, these teams budgets are and, and you know that forty eighteen probably operates on a thirty to fifty million dollar budget. Could right. be anywhere from there. And where does that where does that money go <clears throat> that translates into speed? Like, Just, what's the difference between you know the cars? Um, it's, I mean, people and just. You're, you're, it's a manufacturing company at that point. At the at the level of Hendrick Motorsports, it's a manufacturing company. I mean, they're. They've got 600 employees, and mm-hmm. they're, it's just every ounce and every millimeter in those cars makes a difference, especially when you can pour that much into it. I mean, mm-hmm. they're at the wind tunnel every day. Wow. They have um, their own carbon fiber shop where they're building anything you want out of carbon, tri- carbon uh-huh. fiber. The crew chief calls and says, hey, there's a component on my car that's aluminum, that doesn't need to be aluminum. It needs to be carbon fiber. Right. Wow. They can make it, you know, and it makes it that much lighter. But once the car is dialed in, just, isn't that the car? Like, it doesn't, why does it, you know, like, why does it keep going? You know it what just, I mean? Like, it's crazy. Like, it's so, it's so hard to imagine, but like all those things kind of just add up and just make a faster car. And, uh-huh. and, and you do, you still have to go to the racetrack and dial them in. And that's where like, okay, so, so, okay, so we've built this fancy car out of, carbon fiber and you know and all the lightweight components and there's 50 guys that built it and they just you know they massaged every corner and it's been in the wind tunnel you still have to dial it in right well they've got an engineering department and they have written their own computer simulation software that can track every movement of the suspension and before they even unload the car off the trailer They've spent hours on the simulation software running laps mm. on the racetrack. And they'll type in a setup, right? You know, springs and shocks and suspension geometry and everything. And they'll hit enter and it'll make a lap. And it'll tell you how fast it went. It'll tell you wow. what it handled like. It'll tell you, you know, it'll tell you all the optimal aero positions of the body and everything. And 
if it wasn't good enough, well, I mean, it's never good enough. Uh-huh. They're going to make an adjustment and they'll just keep working on it and they'll find trends in the setup and all of those things to where finally when it comes to Friday, when we're ready to practice and qualify, they've worked on their car for hours, you know, days and weeks, yeah. just getting to that unloading setup. That's amazing. I feel like if you channeled that, all that brain power <laughs> yeah. towards into like NASA or something like that, <laughs> yeah. we'd all be living on Mars. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. that's really amazing. So how do you like get into the right frame of mind to race, you know, getting in a car that's obviously, I'm sure you're racing an unbelievable car and you've got, you know, incredibly skilled, devoted, dedicated people working with you, but knowing like, maybe you don't have that, you know, but you still got to get your head in the game and you're racing. Yeah. So, um, so a big part of my kind of life transformation in the last couple of years has, has included that thought process. Cause there was a point, especially like in that 2010, 2011, I was driving for these small teams. I was mm-hmm. making races, but I was looking at the greener grass. Like it was, man, if we could just have that sponsor, right? you know, if I could just drive that guy's car, he's not even as good of a driver as me, mm-hmm. you know, or if I could just have that. And, and but none of that's <clears throat> productive. None of that not, is helping you be a better driver. It's not, and yeah. it's not proving it, I realized I got to a point where it's like, I'm not proving to Roger Penske or Rick Hendrick that I'm a, a superior driver or person by looking at the greener grass of what I don't have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I kind of set a goal for myself starting in 2013 that I was like, you know what, I, I want to show myself, but I want to show this industry what I can build, you know, and, and what mm-hmm. I can be a part of. And, and I kind of felt like, you know what, if I get a, an opportunity to drive the, the Lowe's car, you know, or the Home Depot car, or those, mm-hmm. you know, those well-funded cars, then so be it. But I want those, I, I want people to look at me 10 years down the road and say, wow, look what he built. Mm-hmm. You know, look what he was a part of. And, uh, and that was, that was when I started with the team that I'm with now, which is Hillman Racing. Mm-hmm. And when we started together and like, I like told you, we had no pedigree, we had nothing, right? right? <clears throat> it was, we had one race car, the, t- the owner of the team, myself, and two employees. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, Yeah, it's like the bad news bears. Yeah, right? exactly. And we went to, um, so 2014 was when that whole Daytona thing. In 2013, somebody ran Daytona with our like kind of program, but then our, our first official race together was on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. we had a West Coast swing. We had Phoenix and then Fontana. So we went 3,000 miles from North Carolina to Phoenix, with one race car. Like mm. if we crashed it in Phoenix, we could do the next race. Right, right. I mean, how and, many how many cars do these other teams have? I mean, 20. Oh, <laughs> They're really? building them every day. I mean, oh, they, I didn't know they, that. Wow. At a, at, at a company like Hendrick, um, I mean, so we go down to path of like building them light and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they're building these cars so light and so sleek that they only race them once or twice and then they throw them away and build another one. Oh, wow. And they don't throw them away. I mean, they right. they rebuild them or they'll sell them or whatever. But, and when they go from race to race, <clears throat> we're talking about like fleets of 18-wheelers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're, they're, they're taking them and they're loading them up with a primary and a backup. So mm-hmm. we went out there with one car and we had to use that one car for the first like four races of the year until we could generate enough money from our prize money because we didn't have any sponsorship at the time. We were able to generate enough money from our prize money to buy us another car. Mm. And um, so we bought another car. So now we had two cars. Bootstrapping the whole thing. So now we had two cars. So we're like, we're doing good now. Uh And and so we just kind of like built, you know, as a company together. And that was was my, 
my goal as a driver was like, I'm, I'm tired of trying to be the best race car driver in the world. Like, you know, I'm trying to looking at the, the greener grass. I want to see what I can build. Mm-hmm. Well, that's laudable. And I think that that must give you a tremendous sense of pride because, you know, rather than just plopping into the driver's seat into a machine that's already fully ramped up and just driving the car, you're part of something, you know, that, that wasn't that now is, yeah. which is pretty cool. Like you created mine. something. It's yeah. mine. It's part of, it's part of me. It's part of my team. It's ours. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, um, <clears throat> you know, the hard part is I could sit here all day and say, man, I just wish if I could, if I was in Jimmy Johnson's car, right. Like you'd say that all, all right. you want, but well, everybody but Jimmy, except Jimmy Johnson can say that every other guy. Right. Exactly. But, <laughs> so. but you look at, you look at the situations and just the, at the caliber that they operate, um, I, I could be better driver than Jimmy Johnson, but I still probably couldn't get in Jimmy Johnson's car tomorrow and do as good as he's doing mm-hmm. because it's his team. Mm-hmm. It's his, those are his guys. He's been with them for 15 years, you know? And so it was like, I, I, I kind of reached a point where I was like, man, it is much as great as that would be. I don't even know if I want to be plucked into somebody else's deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like I, I just build your own thing and, yeah, grow, and grow into that something yeah. I can be proud of. You yeah. know, so what do you think it is that what what distinguishes <clears throat> like an average driver from a great race car driver? I mean, what is it that you know makes Jimmy Johnson great? Other than the car, I'm just talking about the yeah. actual skill set of driving. It's it's really um, it's kind of a quarter by quarterback like atmosphere. You know, it's the just the overall leadership and and how you conduct yourself, how you handle yourself, and and the mental game of it. That's why Jimmy Johnson is who he is. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got the mental um, side of it just so in tune. I mean, um, he doesn't blow up. You know, there's there's <clears throat> there's a lot of drivers that have all the talent in the world, but they can't handle you know the high pressure situations and. They got their crew chief in their ear, and they got their spotter in the ear, telling them to pit now. No, wait, pit next lap, and just mm-hmm. you know, pick it, you know, and they just they blow up, and then they blow. then they come in and they have a bad pit stop when they're leading, and they come out in third place. Oh, that's so terrible, right? Right. Oh, it just they'll melt down for the whole for the rest of the race. They'll they'll you know they'll they'll throw away a chance at a win just because they had one setback. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson doesn't do that, you know, and and there's a lot of guys that that don't do that. They have the mental clarity and to have the leadership to get out of the car after a bad day and the microphones in your face and what happened out there and say, my pit crew sucks, Uh you know, no, it's, Hey, we had a rough day. It doesn't, can't win them all, you know? And, and, um, it's that ability to kind of put all that together. uh, And so much of that is not what's happening when you're behind the wheel, right? Exactly. How you're sort of, you know, handling all the people that work underneath you and the day in, the day out, leading up to the race and after the race. Because at the end of the day, I mean, if that little bit of mental clarity can help you from making a smidgen of a mistake every third or fourth lap on the racetrack, Mm -hmm. helps your car go a tenth of a second faster for those laps, you're going to beat the more talented driver that can't keep his head anyways. Right. What do you think is your uh, strongest suit as a driver? Like, what distinguishes you from the other guys? Um, I've I've found that um, I perform well under pressure, and I think a lot of that came from uh, when I was having to drive for the teams that didn't have a, a way into the race, and we, 
you know, we had to race our way in or qualify our way in, and it was kind of a do-or-die situation. Um, I've kind of had to learn to just bite the bullet and, mm-hmm. and get focused. And, and I feel like I've had a lot of in- instances in, in my driving career where it's just like that out-of-body like experience where you just, it just happened and you don't remember making the decision. Right, right? It you're just, in the zone. You're in the zone. And, um, and, uh, and, and you're not uh, consciously thinking about shifting, accelerating, all right. those kinds of things. You're just on some kind of autopilot. Exactly. Where it's flowing. And there's, you know, there's that feeling sometimes you get where it's like you don't even feel your arms. You don't even, you know, you're just, you're in the zone. I mean, that's, that's, that's truly what it is. And, and, and I've, I've kind of found that. And I, I um, I've even read uh, Mind Body Sport and it's, um, you know, it really talks about that and kind of trying to figure out how to harness that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's one thing that I've kind of focused on was like, man, I need to be able to harness that zone and, and get into the zone. And, and then I also, you know, on the, on the mental strength side of things is not melting down, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and staying stable for my team and, and keeping them, you know, positive and being a good leader on that. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's a book called, I think it's, I forget the guy who wrote it. It's about flow states or a flow state project or something like that. I'll think of it later, um, but that might be one you Is Mind Body out. Sport the one that's with the seasons? And that's the one that I read about. I can't remember. Getting in the zone. And then I did, I did a, I don't know if you listened to it, but uh, I did a podcast with this <clears> sports <throat> psychologist named Michael Gervais, who's here in Los Angeles, and he's unbelievable like you might want to check that out he had so much like valuable information about that and he works with the seattle seahawks and Mm -hmm. he's the guy who got um felix baumgartner the guy who the the red bull stratos guy we listened to that podcast he's the guy who got him comfortable in the suit and all that kind of stuff (laughs) but he's like packed full of knowledge and that's really like you know the final frontier of athletic performance i think beyond nutrition it is. that people really need to start dialing it up as things get more and more competitive um and i think racing is unique and distinct in the sense that it's an athletic event but i think the mental aspect of it is so much more forefront like you know you look at basketball or track and field or whatever it is and you see the athletic aspect of it and it's easy to overlook the mental aspect of it as as important as it is but you're spending so much time just with yourself. Yeah. And it's not about how strong you are well, or our, anything like that. It's like, where's <laughs> your head at? You know, how can you be more focused and present with what you're doing? Exactly. I mean, our, our races are anywhere from three and a half to four and a half hours. And mm-hmm. and then if you want to break it down, like comparing it to football or something, you know, a, a, a football, a play lasts seven seconds, 10 mm-hmm. seconds. And and then even from there, you know, the quarterback is off the field for a few minutes, can put himself together and go back out. Yeah. But in a race, <clears throat> I mean, there are breaks in a race when the caution comes out or there's a crash. But you'll go, you can go 30 minutes having to race lap after lap after mm-hmm. lap. And if your car is crappy for that 30 minutes, you can get so far off mentally because it's just like, oh my God, when is this stint going to be over? When can I come mm-hmm. and put tires on? I need fuel. I need an adjustment. I need to quit. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I want to get out of this thing. Um, and, and you can't afford to lose that, you know, because in, uh, in our racetracks, I mean, you know, when we race out in Fontana, you're in California, um, the track has six grooves. I mean, if you're, you, you mm-hmm. can have the worst car in the field trying to race it on the bottom, mm-hmm. and there's a groove out there. 100 yards 
to the high side that if you just would go up there and try it, you have the best car. You know, it just it's just right. so everything's different, you know, and it changes constantly when your tires get wore out and it starts sliding around. So you kind of have to overcome each lap. Even though you're not stopping, you don't get a chance to breathe. Mm-hmm. You have to go through a corner and miss the corner and almost crash, but think, oh, I know I can do that corner better next time. Mm-hmm. You know, so... And just and just having to be so focused for such a long extended period of time without a break, you know, yeah. under excruciatingly high pressure yeah. circumstances, where it's literally like, I mean, you know, it is kind of life or death. I right. mean, you were t- before we were recording in the kitchen, you were saying, well, we were talking about Senna and Rush, these movies, and you're like, when everyone was dying in these cars, and you're like, oh, it's so safe now, and I'm like, is it really? You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. But, yeah, I mean, it it feels you know. safe. It feels safe compared to what it used to be. I mean, it. Um, Kyle Busch, you know, broke both of his legs in Daytona um, just a couple of weeks ago, which was a really bizarre accident. And um, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of concussions out there on drivers. Mm-hmm. And I've had a concussion as a driver. Um, I wasn't, you know, it was before we were being um, you looked at for him. So I mean, I I raced with a concussion. Right. And um, but I mean, it's it, there's there's a there's a few stuff like that out there, but. Uh, but I mean, really, it's you, it's hot in those cars, and you're you're at kind of a marathoner's heart rate for mm-hmm. the duration of the time that you're at speed. Right. Wow. So and that's interesting. So what is it like? What is your typical heart rate when you're racing? It's it's kind of in that like one twenty to one forty. Wow, well, it'll spike, but I mean, it's just yeah. it's just at that aerobic. Right. You know, as a triathlete, you know, a kind of. For anywhere from like a recovery to aerobic, mm-hmm. but it's so hot and and I mean you you know the cars are probably 120 degrees inside the car, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the the last thing that I always kind of put on top of it that puts it in perspective for people is like we're not breathing clean air, yeah you know it's not like <laughs> hardly you know like uh, so it's like, oh okay marathon or heart rate you know like yeah. The, yeah that's one thing but i run a lot you know it's like okay yeah. well it's hot well, well you know i run in the desert it's pretty hot in the desert like running a marathon in Behind... mexico city on a super <laughs> exactly. smoggy day with a, breathing out of a you know exhaust pipe. like you know when you're like at the top of a, a climb on your bike and it's just brutal and you're like full of lactic acid and you're just grasping on every breath and a and a dump truck drives by you Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of, I mean, it, you know, obviously we're we're not complete heathens and have terrible, but like there's, you know, there's really no like formal filtration in these cars. You know, they're not right. clean. These are race cars, right? And um, and I've got air that blows into my helmet, but I mean, it's you know, our CO two levels are are, yeah, are yeah, high yeah, after yeah. races. You're not getting I, pure oxygen by any stretch. We, you know, I've been tested before and after, and it's it's high. So right. And so, so throughout the race, I mean, you're hydrating. Are you eating? Like, how does that work? The so, nutrition throughout. I've I've dabbled. Um, I go back and forth on on eating during the race. Um, typically, I'll take either a gel or a banana. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't lately. Just I've just gotten. Um, I don't know. Like I I, I I I do so well on the hydration side of things that like. I haven't eaten a lot lately, but sometimes I'll throw a banana in there mm-hmm. or a gel. Um, but I definitely, I mean, hydration is huge, especially what I've learned with triathlon and just the importance of that. It's like I found where in the past I've I've cut myself short right. in a race car. And I can think of instances where it's like, man, I, that's, that's what I needed. So yeah. um, there's a lot of races where I'll take in uh, anywhere from, 
I mean, the majority of races I've taken anywhere from 75 to 150 ounces, probably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, um, <clears throat> I want to talk about the triathlon stuff, because that's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but before we do that, like, I want to I get into a little bit about the culture of NASCAR and kind of, you know, like the myths versus the realities yes. of, you know, what it's like. And, you know, as somebody who, you know, I have a layperson's understanding <clears throat> of what that world is all about, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you it was half informed by Talladega Nights and, you know, like whatever <laughs> yeah. I see on television Great or movie, whatever by the way. movie, you know, Perfect. Like, if you've seen Talladega yeah. Nights and don't even worry, you've you seen got it all. It's yep. totally accurate, yeah. <laughs> right? It's all about that. So, I mean, you know, what is that like? What is, you know, what is it like to be in, you know, immersed in that culture, living in Charlotte, you know, a race car? I mean, you're, you're living in Charlotte, race car central, NASCAR central. You're, you're a NASCAR driver. I mean, that's pretty sexy and cool. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like being a rock star. Like, I think it's pretty awesome. You know, <laughs> but what is, what is that culture all about? Like, and what is different in the reality of it versus what we might imagine? Um, it's just a, it's, it's a very, uh, blue collar, hardworking sport. You know, the people that put our cars together and the guys that work on these teams, um, they were born and bred racers. I mean, a lot of them are just the mechanics of the world that, that love cars and, and, you know, especially on some of the smaller teams like mine where we don't have, we're not engineering heavy, we're, we're, you know, mechanic heavy and, mm -hmm. And, um, and so there are a lot of workers. I mean, my guys work seven days a week. Um, they travel for those days and they, you know, they don't get to see a lot of their families a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the, the days that they do get off are like the day that they're going to travel. So if we're flying out on a Thursday afternoon, they'll get Thursday morning off type thing. But, um, it's, it's just, uh, and it's a, it's kind of a big traveling circus, you know, a big traveling family. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so 38, 40 weeks a year ish. I, I always say 40 weeks a year because it's 38 races, but we get two off weekends and I'm always like traveling on those off weekends too. Right. So we're traveling 40 weeks a year minimum. And, um, and it's the same people going to the same cities and, and it's just that the, the people, like I said, are very blue collar, hardworking type people. And the NASCAR corporate culture is, um, <clears throat> is still in a lot of ways very good old boy because it's a family-owned business mm -hmm. and um, it's owned by the France family. Mm -hmm. So NASCAR is a very sophisticated corporation, but it still answers to the boss. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's just a and, – and it's not, you know, that's I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing, but that's what NASCAR is. And there's a lot of businesses out there that are like that. Mm -hmm. And they just have a different culture than than companies that are – uh, you know, run by a board or run by whatever. Right, right, right. Um, but you're not like, uh, I mean, you're from Iowa, but you're not like, you don't strike me as like, I mean, your name's Landon. It's not Bobby <laughs> yeah. you know, or Dale, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you don't strike me as being or like both. a good, a good, <laughs> yeah, Bobby exactly, Dale. Bobby, yeah, I know. Like you're not like, uh, you know, like Talladega, right? Like you don't strike me as being like a good old boy and, yeah. you know, like chewing tobacco and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that, is no, that, we're, I'm not. And, and I, and I never was, I mean, uh, I, um, it's, uh, yeah, and I don't know. I guess I I could have been. I grew up in Iowa. I worked oh. on race cars, and I'm an Asker yeah. driver. Yeah. What's that? You get an yeah, yeah, if I hang around racers in the south, you got a little bit of a you a little it. bit of a twang. Not too <laughs> Gosh, much. Please don't say that. <laughs> I hate it when people say. Uh, I have to check myself on. when people say that. Yeah. But I, you've been living in Charlotte <laughs> for a while. I so. know. I I I definitely I definitely could have been. Um, 
good old boy, but I, I mean, I got a little bit of a creative mind sometimes, and mm-hmm. and um, and I've always, I always kind of venture out in things, and and Katie and I, you know, we don't live like in a Charlotte area, like all the racing people live like in Mooresville up by the lake and Lake Norman, and and so we kind of keep to ourselves a little bit, which is mm-hmm. funny. We live in the city, we keep to ourselves, mm-hmm. but like we have a lot of friends outside of the racing industry, and. And uh, not like jet skiing and doing like, no, no, we just, (laughs) you know, we, we live our little vegan life in, Uh in Charlotte and, and, um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I get along with the, the industry and I, and I'm a part of that culture, but, um, but I was just, I never, I was a never, never like into hunting and, you know, those Mm. things that, that, uh, that racers, you know, and just that country boy type, um, personas into, um, but, but growing up, I mean, the, I guess the reason I ended up being a racer, despite kind of being a part of that culture, I just cared about driving. Like I just wanted right. to race. I just wanted to drive. I built mm-hmm. my race cars. I, you know, I was in high school. I would, uh, there's oftentimes I got up before school to go work on my car, I went to school mm-hmm. and then worked on it till 10 or 11 at night after school. Mm-hmm. And that's just all I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't create other hobbies right. or anything like that. Your dad's gotta be psyched. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. he come to all the races? Um he did at one point but he hasn't uh he hasn't he he'll go to like f- 5 to 10ish. Uh maybe not 10, but he'll 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 go to 5ish. Um he's he's still he's still in the car business in Iowa, so he's mm-hmm. he's pretty deep in that and and um my dad's a very highly motivated person. My family were a family of highly motivated people. Yeah, do you have brothers and sisters? Um my brother is <clears throat> a geologist. He lives in Boulder. Or, I'm sorry, he lives downtown Denver. My mm-hmm. sister lives. Uh, she goes to Denver University mm-hmm. as well. So, so my brother's a geologist, and uh, he was a professional bass fisherman when he was in college. Oh wow, which is pretty interesting. And um, he was a vegetarian at the time too. It was kind of really? weird, yeah. Which was so <clears throat> funny. Side note: talking about my brother, he was kind of like vegan vegetarian in college, and. Or, or like towards the end of high school, like through college, and he was your trademark, like did it to piss off my parents, uh-huh. right? Just like the perfect college kid right. vegan, you know, like <laughs> it, like like if somebody said like, "What do you stand for as a vegan?" I stand for pissing off my parents. Like uh-huh. that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> but he was he he was for a long time. So I guess you can't just do it out of spite for two for for yeah, that long. He's not going to be able to sustain that, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, but and he certainly wasn't a healthy, you know, vegan. Right. It was like potato chips and, mm-hmm. and stuff, but. Um, but I, it was always funny cause like, you know, obviously I wasn't a vegan back then and I'd always be like, how could you go fishing and be a vegan? Right. Like, how does that work? And he's like, I don't, you know, I throw him back and I always, he's like, he always believed it was bad karma to eat the fish anyways. He's like, even if I was, you know, wasn't a vegetarian, I wouldn't eat him, but it's just kind of funny. But I think, again, I think it was just him justifying the, right, right. the rebellion. But, uh, my sister is a figure skater. Wow. And um, she's, but she's a college student now, so she goes to Denver University. And Interesting. Is it Denver University or University of Denver? Because there are Denver? those are two different schools. Yeah, I think so. UD, UD University UD? of Denver. Okay, yeah, right in You're downtown. Your yeah, that's yeah. cool. Oh, Everybody's doing different things. Follow our dreams, that's family. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> well, I want to talk about like how you kind of you know this is sort of a segue into the triathlon stuff but like how you approach 
the training aspect of trying to be as physically and mentally fit as possible for your racing. And your sport is so unique in the sense that it's not like you can go to the track every day and do hot laps, you know, right. like, like the idea of getting the car out on the track is a hugely expensive endeavor. Yeah. Um, and I've, I have some friends that are motorcycle racers is a similar kind of thing. Um, so without being able to actually practice the thing that it is that you do, you know, on a regular basis, you know, what is it that you specifically, and maybe some of what the other racers do to try to, you know, be fit for that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like you said, it's triathlon is, Mm -hmm. is my choice. Um, I've, I've done crossfit i I mean i was never into it right i I say i've done crossfit i didn't do crossfit because there's people that do crossfit and my god there's doing crossfit and then there's doing (laughs) right there's there's yeah yeah. (laughs) so um i i I worked out and and um and you know lifted and crossfit and all those things and and first of all for me like i didn't get hooked on those things like i did triathlon but also, like I really found with triathlon, just that endurance aspect was such a compliment to to what I do in a race car. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we talked about the the heart rate and the heat and everything, and our races being three and a half to four and a half hours <clears throat> on a kind of a cardio aspect. Um, I'm doing a marathon every Sunday. Right. It's kind of a perfect triathlon training. It really right. is kind of a perfect compliment. And, to and I actually race twice a week. I race on Saturdays as well in the mm-hmm. Xfinity series. Right. That was another thing. Like you race in two different cars. We didn't right. even talk about that. Two different I was companies. About this, yeah. I was like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, like, so, wait, you have this car and you also race this other car? Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's uh, in NASCAR, there's a Sprint Cup series and there's the Xfinity series. And the Xfinity series is kind of like the feeder series. Uh-huh. Um, but it's weird because the Sprint Cup drivers can race in the feeder series mm. um and and it's actually the sprint cup drivers racing in the feeder series is kind of a a value proposition there because you get these big name drivers to show up and then the young guns can kind of challenge them mm. and uh and it brings a lot of money to the sport it brings a lot of money to the to the xfinity series so it's a it has its pros and cons uh, for me i run them both because it's more time in the race car mm-hmm. you know both the teams i drive for are small you know we're not going to go out there and set the world on fire week in and week out but for me i can get more experience i can prove myself more as a as a good driver um and it's just another opportunity for me to race we're brought to you today by birch if you're serious about optimizing your sleep listen up i've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut eye and i can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made. And that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with None of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. 
pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. So I race 300 miles on Saturday and 500 miles on Sunday. Uh-huh. So I do, you know, back to back a marathon on Sunday and right. a half marathon on, on Saturday. And, um, I've found that with triathlon and long course triathlon that just that endurance has helped me a ton inside the race car. And then, you know, anybody, there's a lot of triathletes listening, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. um, know how addicting it is and, and that us triathletes have addictive personalities and, and, uh, I've got addictive personality and I mean, I just, (laughs) and I'm competitive and I, and I push myself and, and, um, and I definitely dive into things 100%. And I've kind of gotten into a point where I treat my triathlon training and just my like my weekly schedule is of my training and then into my races on the weekend. It all just kind of works into one. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I uh, you know, I put on my recovery boots after a race, whether it's right. a triathlon. So you've got the Normatec <laughs> boots. Like, you got all the stuff, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, and I, I've, you know, those were, those were calculated purchases. Uh-huh. Um but, but I mean, it's <clears throat> just the recovery from getting out of a race car and and then um, getting in the pool and running on Mondays, which is what I do on Mondays. I, I swim and run. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Monday is a is kind of a get back into the swing of things. Um, you know, I typically I'll try to see uh, my physical therapist on Monday or Tuesdays and get my body squared away mm-hmm. again uh, because we found that that my hips get cranked. Um, over the course of the weekend, just from the G forces that I pull in the race car and being right. in a seated position, buckled in tight, you know your, you know your it's your jacking, hip flexors. Yeah, are just, it's got to jack you up pretty. It's good. it's very jacked up, and so like the left side of my body is just like weak and and immobile, and the right side is decent. So. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, actually, I was going around right, the same so, way. You know, like right. yeah, yeah laughing at me. Like it's real funny. Over, yeah, I never really <laughs> thought about that, but like over time, yeah, that would create like a huge yeah. imbalance. So, um, so I, I work with you know the 
that stuff early in the week and and um and then on Tuesdays um Tuesdays are usually big training days for me I um I do a big swim in the morning and then um typically like a 25 mile or an hour trainer ride and a 3 to 6 mile brick depending on where mm-hmm. I'm at in my um periodization and then Wednesdays speed work and another swim and lift on Wednesdays and Thursdays would be like a long aerobic bike ride and a travel day. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and then Fridays are a long run for me. And then that's when I'm in a race car. So okay. <clears throat> um, Fridays, I have to start getting serious about, like on a physical side of things, getting a good solid run in, but also recovering in time and staying hydrated yeah, throughout the day. You can't overdo it because day before you're racing. Uh, right, because on Fridays, I'm in the car all day. You know, you, We talk about <clears throat> racing on Sunday and how hard it is, racing on Saturday, how hard it is. But on Friday, I practice and I qualify both cars. Right. So um, like tomorrow is a Friday, and um, I practice at noon. Um, since we had a long week in Palm Springs, like hiking, and I did a lot of some some pretty tough runs while I was in Palm Springs, I'm just gonna swim tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm gonna be nonstop at the racetrack in a car from noon to like five thirty mm-hmm. after we qualify. So I kind of have to like I try to get those long runs in on on Friday, mm-hmm. but I have to really kind of stay hydrated, stay keep the nutrition right. in me throughout the day while I'm driving. Or you could do what you did, I think, was it in Phoenix where the car broke down and then you ran back to the <laughs> <Yeah>. hotel? <laughs> yes, that was a good one. Which yeah. there, there's I a saw little it on bit your of, Twitter. There's a, there's a little story behind that too, um, which, um, so I have no idea when you'll air this or when, when, yeah. uh, when this will pl- apply, but um, the story behind it is, uh, well, first of all, my my Xfinity race in Phoenix, um, I blew a tire on lap 90. So we're 100 miles into this race, 300-mile race, and or 200-mile race, I'm sorry. And uh, blew a tire, hit the wall, car's junk. And um, so I just put my running shoes on. I ran back to the <laughs> hotel. I guess that's not much of a story. Yeah. I said the story behind this is supposed to be a no, story. No, it's good. No, though. it's really simple. I just, uh, yeah, I got out of my car, and I was, so I put my running shoes on, and um, I drank a bottle of water, and, and I didn't have my handheld with me, which would have really been nice. But mm-hmm. it was eight and a half miles, and I thought, nah, I can make it eight and a half miles. It'd take about an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thirsty by yeah. the end of the ride. And and I, I drank two bottles in that 100 miles in the car and then drank uh-huh. one after. And when you're in the car, dead. do you have like a water bottle with you? Or is it only when they squirt it in your mouth when you pull into the pit? <laughs> like, how does that work? Um, what movies did you watch? I don't know. Like I'm telling I told you I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. so, so no, I keep a water bottle in the car. I keep it really simple. There's drivers that have it, drink systems. Is there like an anchor for it? Like Yeah, there's just so, a water bottle you. holder. It uh-huh. kind of sits in there pretty deep and it extra really only weight. flies out if you weight. crash or extra something. Weight, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, you just try to suck it down and right. sweat it out. But um, and so, the, yeah, I keep that in. But I, I, I did that eight and a half mile run. But I, I've my sponsor. I'm sponsored by Snap Fitness, oh. which is really cool because they just love like the just the fitness and health mm-hmm. side. I mean, they're just like, okay, Lena, whatever. You know, I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna do this half Ironman this year, mm-hmm. and it's on an off weekend. But don't, and they're just like, oh my god, do whatever you want to do, man. You just like. Just, just tag Snap Fitness. Do you have a like a, a triathlon kit that has all your sponsors? <clears throat> I do, yeah. On it? yeah. I got Snap Fitness on it, <laughs> yeah. and um, I, I'm, I'm like that guy at the triathlon yeah. with my branding. Um, so 
I'm except sponsored. You're, except you're, the difference is that you're you actually are sponsored. By <laughs> right, all right. People. I actually am sponsored. Yeah. Most people just they they're wearing all these sponsored things, but they're not actually. Well, I, it's so funny. Like in the the world of triathlon and cycling, and all this stuff is like you buy like Zip wheels. You know, it's got the Zip sticker on it, right. and like Zip has great branding. You know, oh, and it's like they're laughing all like the way to the bank. Paying you know thirty five hundred dollars exactly. for a set of wheels to run their stickers on it. Yeah. Um, by the way, is like, in my world, <laughs> you pay a lot of money to have those stickers I know, on. It's People exactly. are volunteering to do this. Exactly. Right? They're actually paying Zip thousands of dollars <laughs> to, to advertise for them. Yes. Right. So uh, so Snap and I, we were kind of chatting, and they, they want to do something. Like, we might do a 5K later in the year or something. Um, and I, I, was, I was kind of thinking, and my dad and I were talking, and I was like, you know, the hardest race of the year is a 600-mile race we do in May on uh, Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like 13 to 14 miles from the racetrack in Charlotte to the Hall of Fame in downtown Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder if I could do that 600-mile race in my car and then get out and jog it out. Right. 14 miles home or whatever it might be you should do that you and so that. i'm thinking about it yeah and i know i could i know i'm fit enough to do it but like for me the challenge would be like well first of all finishing the race i mean mm-hmm. like you know blown engine getting in a crash like finish the race and then so snap was kind of like man we could we would like we'd get behind that mm-hmm. you know so we're kind of like in the early stages of <clears throat> just figuring it out because you got to remember like that's a night race it starts at 6 p.m it's a Usually it takes four and a half to five hours to do six hundred mile race. Mm-hmm. So you're done at eleven. I mean, by the time I get out of the car, like, yeah. and if I were doing it right, you it would do press and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right like, after right. Yeah, like I'd get out of the race car. I would probably have at least like a masseuse there to just like strip me out or something. You know, mm-hmm. get changed, get some fluids in me. Like it would probably be like a fifteen to thirty minute brick. You know, right. And uh, and then you got traffic, and it, so it's midnight, right, when we get started. So, um, you know, I told Snap, I'm like, well, I would consider looking into this, but, like, you've got to, like, give me a plan. Like, how are mm-hmm. we going to execute this? So it'll be kind of interesting to see what they come up with. They've, they've got some ideas, and, and, uh, but I want to do it, but I, I kind of, like, decide I'm going to start, like, kind of jogging home from some of these races and see uh, that could see be how like your thing you know everybody needs like their thing <laughs> right. you're the guy who runs home after, after <laughs> right. every race dean carnazes you know? is a guy that eats a pizza while he on the yeah probably not or, anymore but <laughs> you know like jesse thomas wears aviator shades you're know, like you know exactly this could be like your thing well i think what would be cool would be just say it's a midnight half and then also open it up to your fans so the people can hang out. Yeah. And those who want to run can, like, do the run with you afterwards. So it, it allows you to kind of connect with the people. If anybody that are wants to do doing. this or is interested, or maybe if it's not Charlotte, just let us know. Let me know. Mm-hmm. Let Rich know. I, we'll, bet you, I bet you you get a lot of people to do that. I think that would be really that, fun. That would be the driving <clears throat> force behind it is if I didn't have to do it alone. When is this? May? It's in May. I want to do it. Let's do Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) That sounds really fun. Run from the racetrack, and I'll. You're gonna look at me like, man, Landon, you okay? Uh (laughs) Like, if I just raced 600 miles in my race car. (laughs) But yeah, I'm doing good. You're an endurance athlete. (laughs) You can handle it. PR a half marathon after. uh, I think it'd be cool. Um, In Charlotte, do you uh, do you ever go down and swim at Mecklenburg? Yeah, yeah. So. 
I actually, to name drop for a second, you know, coach Dave Marsh, I'm sure you've well, heard of. I, yeah, of course. I, I don't know him personally. I may have met him once, but, but I don't know him well, but of course I know who he is. Yeah. He's a legend. So they, um, coach. his swim Mac elite, uh, works out, uh, two days a week at the pool that I swim mm-hmm. at in, in Mecklenburg Aquatic Center. And the big um, outdoor 50 meter, right? Uh, it's indoors. That one? Oh, it is? Yep. There's a, used to, I used to go to a meet when I was in high school. It was a big meet. It was like the Mecklenburg. It was, it was like early summer, or maybe it was like July 4th weekend or something like that. We would always go to Charlotte, and there was a big outdoor 50-meter pool, but it was a Mecklenburg-like sponsored event. That I'll have to check it out. It might, I, I'm, I'm, I'll have to think of what pools are out there, but the, the kind of the, the pool right now that I – like the best one in town, 50-meter, is uh, the Aquatic Center in mm-hmm. downtown, and, and uh, Dave Marsh – um, has a swim mac elite group that swims there twice a week. The other, the rest of the time, they swim at Queens University, and he's uh, he's got Ryan Lochte and mm-hmm. those Tyler are the ballers, Clary. yeah, Tyler and, those are good. and uh, Cullen Jones. Yeah, I've I've kind of gotten to know them a little bit, um, just just on the pool deck, like not uh, uh-huh. not outside. But other than Dave, I know I'm a little closer, and and he's um, he's kind of helped me with my stroke a little bit, which is nice sometimes. Oh, that's but cool. I usually go in and because I know when they work out, and I'll see him and mm. and. Um, and uh, I mean, Tyler's a big race fan, so he'll usually oh, really? duck oh, in that's and cool. remind that's, me that my head's that's cool. lifting my head or something. And you, um, and uh, there's a guy on your team that swam for Stanford, right? Yes, on your race team, Kevin Radvini. So yes, and he he knew he knows who you are. So I was like, that's crazy. Um, which I, you know, I, I think I mentioned something about you to him a while back because I was like, gosh, I read this guy's book. It's so awesome. And he swam at Stanford. You know, who Rich Roll is, and he's like. Ritual, like, and and the best part was, and and you'll probably like be able to at least chuckle for the at the very least chuckle to yourself. <laughs> is, I'm afraid of what you're. Gonna is say. like you got to understand, Kevin like has no idea who Ritual, the super athlete, plant based. Like he knows who Ritual, the college swimmer is. Right. Right. So he was he was and and like he didn't he didn't know you. He didn't have anything to say. He, he was like. Oh yeah, I know Rich Roll. Like he was, you know, uh, you know, some years ahead of me or something like mm-hmm. that. And and I'm like. Do, you know who Rich Roll is, and he's like, yeah, yeah, he swam at Stanford uh-huh. like a couple of years before me. What's the big deal? He's a right. good swimmer, you know. And I'm like, like, well, it's like, like, look at, this. you know, what he does now, like, you know, and and to me, I'm like trying to convey this to Kevin because I'm like, he's a different person now that yeah. you know, like he's 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 like different than a swimmer that he was, you know, and and um, and he's like, wow, that's that's incredible. That's pretty cool, you know. So I think what he's doing is cool. Like to make that transition from college swimming into racing. I remember reading yeah. about it. Like it's super impressive. Yeah, so. I, I uh, he doesn't swim much anymore, and I I like push him. I got him in the pool once, and and um, it was tough because he's like, oh man, I haven't swam in a couple of years, you know. And yeah. he freaking smoked me. But well, he was I mean, all American swimmer. Yeah, <laughs> was... it's like when you're at that level, like there's like sort of two camps. There's some people that are just like never again. Like I just because you're just doing it so much, you're yeah. just like I don't need that in my life anymore. Um, but guys like that, like you'll see it. We'll do it. We have an alumni meet every year, and you'll see guys that like you know my age, and they dump it, they jump in, and they just they'll just you know crank out like some insane fifty freestyle. Like it's just in their blood. You yeah. Know? Like once you know how to do that, it's you such can a back into it swimming. I've compared, like, I compare swimming and racing and golf sometimes, which is really kind of mm-hmm. weird. But like, they're the three of them are are skill based sports, 
right? Like swimming more than the other two, like mm-hmm. swimming is a fitness. I mean, you got to be fit to be a good swimmer, but you but actually, there's so much technique it really oh, is yeah. like a stroke is really like a golf swing. It, it really is. Always be perfecting it. And exactly. And like, and you can be a good swimmer, but be out of shape. You can be a good golfer, but be out of shape. You can mm-hmm. be a good race car driver and be out of shape, but you can't be elite at any of those and be out of shape. Yeah. You, and, and like, and that's so, so like you can have the skill of being a race car driver, but just never tap your potential. Um, right. If you don't uncover every rock and the same with the golf swing, I mean, Tiger Woods showed up and was just like cranking his, you know, I mean, he's paying for it now right. with his back, but like, I mean, just lifting and the flexibility and just show these, these big guys that, you know, had the skill to hit a golf ball, but he showed them that I can show up with that skill mm-hmm. and, and hit the ball 30 yards, 50 yards farther than you because I'm fit. Mm-hmm. And, and swimming is the same way. I mean, it's, I mean, you can have the, the skill of being a good swimmer and, and, and probably do as good as the guys around you um, who are working harder than you. Right, right, right. You know, so... Um, and in racing, like I said, like there's drivers, I can think of drivers that I know that I look at them and I'm just like, I'm glad that guy is not focused because if he was focused, he would be taking my job. Mm-hmm. You know, he would be like, that guy is so good. You know, I guess that's a terrible thing to say, but it's like, he is so good, but he's just not in it, Right. you know? And, and if he could just get in it, um, he could either there's no telling what he could write the potential. I mean, a couple observations on that. I mean, the first thing is I feel like, um, and this is just like a complete outsider's, you know, perspective looking in, but I feel like there's a lot of guys in racing that are like in a triathlon right now. Like you have guys like Tony, you know, Tony Canane and like, you know, some big time racers that are, that are doing triathlons. Jensen Button's huge. Yeah, exactly. Right. Jimmy Johnson. And trying to do really well at it too, Mm -hmm. like treating it, you know, very competitively. Um, And I feel like that's a quantum leap, you know, in terms of approaching the sport of racing seriously as, yeah, I am an athlete. I can't just get fat and eat chicken wings and chew tobacco, right? you know, which I would imagine, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, most of the guys, you know, weren't into being Well, because their skill carried them. Yeah, because they're highly, highly skilled at what they do, but... But that's not really approaching it like an athlete's perspective, you know, yeah, kind exactly. of from a mind, body, spirit approach of trying to be as fit as possible. So I would imagine that that's really, you know, translating into, um, you know, kind of quantum leaps and performance gains in, in, in how well people are racing, you exactly. know, what you're seeing on the track. Um, but the question that I have for you is, <clears throat> like, you're doing the triathlon training and that's making you endurance fit, you know, the cardio and all of that kind of aspect of it. But like, is there anything that you do to work on like your reaction time? You know, like I feel like you're making all these micro decisions and you have to be able to, you know, like your, your nervous system has to be so finely tuned to be able to like, you know, make those snap judgments at the exact moment. And that's different from triathlon, you know, like in triathlon, you're not really doing that kind of thing. Um, so is there anything specific that you do to approach that? Um, I haven't, I, it's funny that you asked that question because I haven't like officially dove into that. Right. You know, I've like so much of my time is consumed with triathlon training and just mm-hmm. everything I do. And then to add like another, like, um, you know, this reaction stuff is like there, there is an avenue I can go down there. Mm-hmm. And I've seen drivers that, um, uh, that are into training, like in the gym, they've, there's like uh like a Jacob's ladder type workout, you know, things that 
they, you know, you're picking the colors and you're jumping, you know, on right. things. And, uh, but one thing that I've kind of started to do <clears throat> um, is there's this app I play on my phone that's just a reaction game. Mm-hmm. And it's it's circles and like these sticks that point out. I think the app is even called like AA or something. It's just right. something, it's like doesn't even have a name. It's kind of weird. Um, and it's 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 just I I like it's the reason I say it's funny that you asked me that is like the answer is no. I don't really have anything that I've done, but I've started playing this app and I've started noticing like kind of improvements and just at least short term attentiveness mm-hmm. and like quickness and things like that like i this is like the worst example but i was playing through this game and kind of just getting into it and and got through a bunch of levels and then i turned on flappy bird and i set a high score the first time i played it oh wow like and it was really weird that like i did that and 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 the reason i downloaded this game is for that reason that you were talking about is like hey is this something i can do on the plane headed to a race weekend Mm -hmm. you know just to kind of even if I spend 15 minutes a day or, you know, or 15 minutes once a week, you know, just on my way to the track to just kind of sharpen my mind, um, I think, you know, it, it could be a help. Yeah, I think so. So it's, it's uh, I don't know, but sometimes, you know, the, the reaction stuff, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely important, definitely something that, that can be honed and there's always ways I can get better, but... And I feel like sometimes instinctually, I just those decisions get made. <laughs> right. Well, that's part of the ten thousand hours. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's just bred into you. Um, but you know, one of the things you said early on when I asked you, you know, what's the difference between you know a good driver and a great driver, and you were talking about, um, you know, being able to maintain your composure under high pressure situations, and how you kind of, you know, the more graceful, you know, people are with respect to their teams and how you kind of navigate this world, the better off, you know, you see their careers going. Um, and I'm wondering if it, you, you, to me, when I hear that, I'm like, well, meditation, like unlocks yeah. all of that stuff. <clears throat> like, have you delved into that at all? So very lightly in my, my mm-hmm. wife, um, as the inspiration I know. We're behind... Put, oh, Katie, I want to put you on the mic here. <laughs> we need to get her a mic. Yeah, I know. So she she's really the inspiration behind a lot of my just my lifestyle and my nutrition and and um you know she comes from a um a counselor background mm-hmm. and she's read a million yoga books and and like so sounds she, like somebody I know. <clears throat> yeah, well I I <laughs> I was telling her I was like man I feel like we have similar background uh-huh. even even kind of uh, um yours and my path to um to our nutrition is similar because mm-hmm. it was like we were led by example. I mean, your right. wife was there the whole time. It wouldn't but have happened without her. I'd she wasn't like in you know, your ear. She was hailing cheeseburgers right now. Right, <laughs> right. She, but the whole time she had, she was there doing it. But you were just kind of, you know, doing your thing. And but you always had that tool ready to use it whenever you were ready. Right. Uh-huh. And so, uh, <clears throat> the meditation thing is something that that is is there for me that I've dabbled in but haven't dove into Mm -hmm. and um and it's so it it could be it's something i'm i'm looking forward to diving into because i know how valuable it's going to be you know i've i watch like the drivers that lose their cool in a car and things like that and 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 sometimes it's so frustrating when people confuse passion with foolishness Mm -hmm. you know and there's a lot of drivers out there that man he's so passionate no he's Mm -hmm. foolish you know, he's 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 acting like a fool. He he's out of control. He's, he's out like of control. He's, he's not in control of his exactly. You know, and they you know. they confuse that. They call it passion, or they call that you know intensity. Um, so it's it's definitely it's definitely something that's 
that's on the horizon. I'm challenging you now on record to get into it. Seriously, man. Like honestly, What's I think the that, starter kit. Give me the starter kit. Here, I'll give you. I'll give you a I'm super. In- I'll give you a super easy way to get going, and that is this: download the Headspace app to your iPhone. They have ten, like ten, you know, ten free guided meditations on there that are like ten minutes each or something like that. And if you're into it after that, you can like upgrade, and then, um, yeah, it's cheap. But and then you just get a whole world of all these different guided meditation programs. And it's it's started by this guy. Uh, Andy Puttacombe. I did a podcast with him. I haven't, I haven't aired it yet. Um, he's an amazing guy. This like British guy. And now he's sort of like the Jamie Oliver of meditation. Like he's sort uh-huh. you know, like, but he was a, he was literally a monk, uh, like living in India for 10 years. Like he, he talk about 10,000 hours. Like this guy's put in 50,000 hours of meditation, wow. but he came back to the world and, you know, he would do like you know, like 18 hours of meditation a day. Like he was doing, like he knows what he's talking about. And now he's like this, you would never know, like he's super hip and cool. And like he, he, but he's able to, he's an amazing communicator. So he's able to take these principles and kind of take all of the, the sort of woo woo vernacular out of it and, and very, and explain it in very elementary terms that make sense. And so the app has like, you know, guided meditation programs on it and you can just do it on your phone and you know 20 minutes in the morning and he just talks you through it so you don't have to like so it's know, like get into like well I don't know how to do it like I just put the earbuds <clears throat> in and, and do it um, and I think it's a great way to get going it takes the guesswork out of it you don't have to go read some book you don't have to do anything other than just kind of listen huh. to him and um, and it's been revelatory for me like it's been you know I've I've been interested in meditation and flirting around with it for like forever for like 16 years and I've always had difficulty or challenges trying to be consistent about it but I've been really consistent over the last like five months or something like that and I've noticed a huge change in everything you know like how I interact with people and just you know, I got a lot of things coming at me right now. I'm juggling a lot of different things. I'm trying to be a dad and a husband. And like, we got this book coming out. I'm doing podcasts. I'm traveling. I'm speaking. And and I'm getting, you know, way too many emails that I can't respond to. And I'm, yeah. my anxiety level like starts to go up, you know, like I, I want to be able to do all these things. And, and then I start, I get into like a panic mode and I freeze and then I'm not productive. Right. And my experience with the meditation is that now I'm able to kind of navigate all these things and be more productive and, and delegate and communicate better and just be present in what I'm doing. And it's, it's been quite amazing. Yeah. It's quite amazing. And I think that in the context of like what you do, like that presence of mind, like that mindfulness that you could bring to your racing could really translate into something special in terms of your performance. That's, that's definitely, I mean, that's the challenge I need because we've, I feel like the recurring theme in the past couple months, especially as my triathlon training is, has been more than ever. And my focus on you know, being the best athlete I can be. And then, mm-hmm. and then getting the race season, like this was a new race season for us. Like we're, a, a, the team that I'm with is, is like our, we're a new team compared to what we were last year. So there's a lot of things that just were <clears throat> ramped up going into this year. And I felt like the last eight to 12 weeks, um, I've told my wife multiple times, like, man, I just need to be more put together. Mm-hmm. Like, I found myself, I'm, I'm not a very good scheduler. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I'll, I'll make a schedule and then I just like won't stick to it. Like mm-hmm. I'll, 
you know, I'll, I'll make a plan on what I'm going to do all day Monday and it's going to start at this time. But like, if I wake up at that time and I don't decide I'm going to do that, like I Mm -hmm. can, I will convince myself, oh, I can do that later in the day and I'll do this instead this morning. And then I won't, and I can, and then I just screw everything up. Mm -hmm. And so I know we've had conversations where I've just been like, what do I need to do to get myself more put together to where I can execute. Cause she is the most planned out uh-huh. structured person. <laughs> Look at her rolling her eyes. I feel bad. I don't, she doesn't have a mic. I'm going to move. Yeah. I'm going to have to hand this Slide over it to her. over to her. <clears throat> yeah. Come on. I want to hear from oh, her. Gosh. Come on, Katie. <laughs> okay. What's the problem here? What? I'm get. You, you know, what's up. You, you know, what's going on, right? You're trying to, you're trying to tell them what's what I'm yeah. giving. I'm giving Landon the solution right now. Of meditation. Yeah. What's that book? The is it Dan Harris, 10%? Oh, 10% Happier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just that's I read a good that book one. for him. Yeah. I that's tried like to, a, yeah, get him It's to very read that. accessible. Yep. That was 10% a good book. 10% faster in the car. You talk about like shaving, you know, like that engineering team that's spending all that time on those tiny little carbon fiber. You could just leapfrog right over that. Because yeah, he was faster. he was very vanilla to the whole meditation too, wasn't he? Uh-huh. At the beginning of the book, like he wasn't. No, I totally not yeah. into it. Did you listen to that podcast that I did with him? No, I oh, would yeah. though. No, I, yeah, I, I liked this book. Yeah, I did. I, no, I did a podcast with Dan, and he walks through the whole process of yeah, and why he's such a great kind of ambassador of it is because he was a skeptic, and he's like a you know he's like a normal dude. He's a newscaster, like the guy's on Nightline, and mm-hmm. like you know he's like a he's like a major newscaster. He didn't you know he didn't want to be a meditator or anything right. like that, and he he was sort of kind of compelled into it by a personal crisis that kind of made him begin to explore it. The news was so stressful <clears throat> too. I mean, yeah, it was like very interesting. It's a cool book, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when he talks about some of the stuff that he, that he had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got him on the green smoothies too. <laughs> I, I don't have him vegan yet, but I've got him like every once in a while I email him and I'm like, how are the green smoothies going? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I would check out that book. That, that's what I think that would be helpful. But, um, but yeah, I think you have like a little, uh, little window of opportunity here to explore now it's just a matter of whether he's going to do it he's laughing over there he doesn't want to do it <laughs> i can tell you if he does it he'll do it all the time so yeah. <laughs> we can just get channel, him to do it yeah it's then. like channeling that obsessive compulsive <laughs> yeah. addictive personality into, yeah. into well the great thing about the headspace app is that like it's right there like i moved it down into the dock on my iphone so it's right there on the bottom like where normally the phone icon would be so i see it all the time and i'm like oh, i should I'm probably do replace it. it with my messaging yeah, whatever whatever you're using compulsively that's taking you out of the moment, put the thing there that's going to bring you back into the moment, right? That's good. Yeah. So, so cool. So you're the you're the spine, you're the rock in this equation. Um, I'm a dabbler, so I think that that's I think we're a good fit that way. Like I I couldn't do triathlons cuz I can't do the same thing every day. So my personality is very dabbling i'm interested in everything but not anything uh-huh. specifically enough but you you're, know, the kind of, you're the yeah, seeker yeah i'm the seeker and then um he's kind of will pick some things up and then just go all the way uh-huh. like with it so i think we're a good fit that way yeah but. i can i can relate <laughs> to that a little bit i think yeah and i, w- I was a vegetarian forever and um he was always like, well, try to get me to not eat red meat. And I'm like, I don't care if you eat red meat. You know, uh-huh. Do whatever you need to do. And then he read your book, and then he, it was really him who was like, no, we're just going to be vegan. But it kind of took him to be the person to say, like, we're not going to 
eat any of that stuff anymore because I was so, ah, you right, know, right, like right. I'm just dabbling and can try it for a little bit and whatever. So. Yeah, that's similar to us too. Like Julie was the one who inspired me to make the change, but then I go all whole hog, <laughs> yeah. you know, where she, and then she's like, okay, well now I got to be in, you yeah, know, now I'm going to be in too. So it was kind of like it looped around that way. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so what's it like to like, you know, be married to a race car driver and be traveling all the time? And he asked me that baby, today. <laughs> you have a baby on the way. Yeah. How many months are you? Uh, I'll be eight soon. Oh, so wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, he asked soon. me that today. He's like, did you ever think you're, you travel this much? And I was like, my life has so not went as planned uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> in good ways. Yeah. What did you think but, you were going to be doing? Well, I was a school teacher, school counselor before I met him. So I okay. thought I'd marry a banker and. We'd work nine. <laughs> we'd work nine to three and come home and uh-huh. and you know go to church on Sunday and play on Saturdays and right. that would be it. So yeah, but you're now you're living this adventure. Yeah, we're we're different. Like his family was follow your dreams. You know, pick something you want to do, but you got to do it. My family was like, be safe, go to college, mm-hmm. get a job that's going to be around for a long time. So. Did you grow up in Charlotte? I grew up in Ohio. Uh huh. Midwest. But you, yep. might, you you got a twang oh, in your gosh. voice. You, you must have been uh, living in Charlotte for a while. Uh, he's been there longer than me, but I taught in some very country schools uh, while I was there. Gotcha. So we don't have to get very far out of Charlotte to be mm-hmm. very Southern. Have you guys hit some of the, the vegan restaurants around here? We ate at Sage Cafe oh, good, in yeah. Pasadena. Uh-huh. Um, lots of good places in Palm Springs. You guys have it easy out here. Super easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. I know. Slide the mic back. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I can't. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I can't, I, I think it's probably a little bit more difficult in, uh, in Charlotte, right? <laughs> yeah. Rich, you're, you're, uh, you're an inspiration and, um, and man, you do an amazing job, but like, there's a hundred restaurants for you to I know. To. <laughs> I'm the first one to admit that, you know, <laughs> there's, trust me. There's two vegetarian. Well, I know there's vegan. one place in Charlotte. Cause I got a buddy, uh, who lives there. Who's, who's vegan and he's taking pictures of what is it called? Luna's it? living kitchen is, is one. That what it is? Yeah, well, the, it doesn't sound the one, like that, the one he was talking about. Um, Actually, when I when we started talking, I wanted to ask you if you've heard of Luna's Living Kitchen, which doesn't sound like mm-hmm. you have. It's re- it's it's so funny that okay, I'll tease about all the restaurants out here and all, the, and maybe it's just a hometown thing. But of like, I travel the country, right, mm-hmm. and seek vegan. I've been to every. You got the Happy Cow I could, app. Yeah, like I could probably name drop all the vegan restaurants everywhere because I've been to them all. And Luna's Living Kitchen in Charlotte is like one of the best ones in the country, oh, like wow. in terms of raw food and just like the healthy food. And then there's one called Fern. <clears throat> oh, that's the one I think I've heard of. Yeah, that is uh, that is just absolutely delicious. Like mm-hmm. it is a, it is it's that kind of vegan restaurant that does a good job of replacing the. Um, the non-vegan foods, you know, so like you've got the meat replacement type stuff, but it's like executive chef run. So Mm -hmm. you actually have creative dishes rather than like, oh, barbecue this or that, you know, it's like, it's actually creative, you know, original dishes. So Mm -hmm. they're really good. Are you guys going to make it down to like Santa Monica or Venice or Hollywood or anything like that? Um, We probably, we'll probably try to like, actually on our way over here, um, I said, you know, we need to find like a like a nice place to go to for, for dinner. Um, well, the nicest place is is Crossroads. Is, and where's that? <laughs> it's in it's right in Hollywood. 
super fancy. Okay. Like it's like high end, but it's, it's we ate a Millennium in San Francisco. Right? Yeah, it's kind it's of like, on that vibe. We're um, uh, we love those types. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very high end. Uh, Tal Ronan is the chef there, and he's amazing. It's it's considered like the best restaurant in L.A. Not vegan restaurant, just restaurant. Really? Yeah. And also, if you want to see probably movie stars, that's the place to go. <laughs> we'll have to look. I mean, it's probably hard to get into. Yeah. We'll have to get a reservation or something. Yeah, just call and get a, It shouldn't be that hard, but you should. I would check that out. So Crossroads. Crossroads. All right. Yeah. That's where we'll be Saturday night. Cool. Gracias Madre is really good, too. It's also kind of in West Hollywood. Okay. That's like, uh, it's Mexican. It's delicious. We were there last night for Tyler's birthday. We were, when we were in San Francisco, there was a... Mexican restaurant that was a vegan Mexican place. That's Gracias Madre. Is it yeah, the same yeah. thing? In the mission? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's owned by the same people. Um, this one has kind of a different ambiance to it. It's very kind of like cool. We're very like small town folk. Yeah. Like we, like especially it's Come so on, funny. Man, embrace vegan. your rock star racing <laughs> well, identity. The, the funny thing is like we, you know, when we go to, <clears throat> when we go to the West Coast and we go to San Francisco and LA and it's just like... God, it's part of your lifestyle out here to be plant-based. Like, people are uh-huh. just, you know, so much more open to it. And, yeah. And so when it's we It's like in, AA. Like, out here, no, everyone's like, yeah, I'm an AA, but not... <laughs> <laughs> when, we were, when, we were, when we were in San Francisco and ate at Gracias Madre, we just couldn't help but to look at each other and be like, I thought Mexican restaurants were already halfway to vegan anyway. Yeah, like you take, are, yeah. You know, you take cheese and meat out and you get a uh-huh. vegan dish, right? And it was like, this place is awesome. It's a vegan Mexican restaurant. Who would have thought, you know, we're like, this. I mean, how would this ever be in Charlotte, North Carolina? Like it never mm-hmm. would, but it, it's, uh, it was pretty cool. Like we, we've, we had some pretty neat experiences traveling and um, I feel, have you been to True Food? It's not like a, Dead on vegan place, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I really that's kind of a staple yeah. for us to go to, like in the Phoenix, Dallas area right. too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in Dallas, and I'm just trying to now. I'm thinking of all the things we do when we travel and the restaurants that I found. Right. There's a Cafe Gratitude in Kansas City. There is yes, the same the, yes. By the same people. I will eat there seven times that. in one weekend. Oh, like, it's so because they have you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, yeah, whatever. It's really good, and then I'll bring one of their superfood granola bars or um, chocolate bars with me with a racetrack. And yeah, that's good. So maybe um, as we're kind of starting to wind down here a little bit, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are interested in kind of the plant-based, you know, living and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I always get is like, yeah, but I travel all the time, man. So there's just no way. It's too hard. And like, mm-hmm. you travel. You travel yeah. as much as anybody and you're finding a way to make it work. So what are some of the like tips and tools that you use that might be helpful to people? Um, the first thing for me, especially if you're like a traveler that's going to be there for a couple of days, um, if there isn't an obvious restaurant right off the bat, which actually restaurants, I mean, it's, it's in a lot of ways my second choice. Um, I shoot for a great grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, there's so many Whole Foods out there now. Like, there's they're all over the place. Um, but there's also a lot more um, just natural food stores than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and believe it or not, like, if you were to ask me, what are the best places that you found for eating clean and what are the worst places um one of the worst places the the least success i had was in riverside california Mm -hmm. which is you know so crazy because it's like we're so close but yet riverside is kind of you know a little bit of the armpit type 
you know, area and it just didn't, I just didn't have success there. But yet one of the best places I've been to, um, was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Hmm. you know, and there's no vegan restaurants in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but they have the greatest natural food store Mm -hmm. and it just has everything you need in it. And I can go there, like I fly in to Scranton Wilkes-Barre airport and, um, we stay in the mountains in Pocono when we race in Pocono and um, and I hit up this. Now I can't even remember. The name. I wish I could give him the name and give him the credit. We'll find but it. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, but it. Uh, um, but it just has everything I need for a weekend right. and and for a traveler. And then the same other one that you would never think of is in uh, is in Manchester, New Hampshire. When we race there mm-hmm. up in Concord, New Hampshire, just outside of Boston. Um, again, I mean, up in the Northeast, there's no vegan restaurants or it's not in their culture at all. And yet, uh, there's just these great natural food stores. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you get set up with organic fruits and vegetables and get some grains that you need and, and you're set. So for, for the, for the people that kind of struggle, it's just like, you know, find a grocery store, get those, you know, get the clean stuff. You know, stay away from chains. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing we... We've kind of like figured out with restaurants, like the ones that have, I I mean, my turn, I'm sure there's a proper term for it, but it's just like, I try to find places that have a chef, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, will the chef make me a vegan dish? You know, yeah. and usually they, usually they kind of enjoy that. Like yeah. some, sometimes Finally we, they get to do something different. Exactly. Sometimes we go to places and it's like, oh, yes, all right, we made the most beautiful. Right. And they, and they have uh, a lot, some of the nice restaurants that you go to. I mean, they got stuff back there that they don't even serve on any of their plates, but mm-hmm. for some reason they've got it, like this, you know, this great root vegetable or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so we kind of, we'll go into restaurants and, you know, pick at the chef a little bit sometimes. Yeah, That's smart. I mean, I think what I always say is like, if you're going to a new place, like you fly in before you even go to your hotel or wherever you're going, like Stock go up. to the market, you yeah. know, go to them and try to stay like if you're a business traveler, try to stay in, in like one of those hotels that has a little kitchen in it or something, kitchenette. And, yep. you know, yeah, you have to plan ahead a little bit, but it's like it's a little with, bit with of an planning. iPhone, you you know, you can sort all that stuff out pretty freaking well, and, easily. And for me, um, a big part of it in, in to, in to kind of encourage the people that get discouraged is like, you just, you kind of have to just go with the flow and try it because, mm-hmm. Uh, because I told you earlier, I'm not a planner, right? So, and and you you might be listening, saying, "Well, I'm not a planner. You know, I can't show up at a, my wife does all my cooking, and you know, I can't just show up at a grocery store and buy all I need for the weekend. You know, I don't have time to do that. But like, I, I don't either. Like, I don't just go to these grocery stores and just you know buy everything. But I've figured out be, through experience what I need, what I need mm-hmm. now or what I need in the morning to get me to the racetrack where I know Jackie will make me something or mm-hmm. where I know there's going to be a restaurant that I can get dinner, but I just got to get through the day. So like, I know that, I mean, my go-to snack that will just hold me over is an apple and some Justin's peanut butter, right? You mm-hmm. know, like those are, you know, just something that, um, it's pretty basic, something that's just basic, but has those kind of essential nutrients that you need. And, and um, and if you can kind of get in that rhythm of like, okay, yeah, I'm not a planner and I'm not going to go to the grocery store and have some elaborate groceries and I'm going to keep it the Holiday Inn, um, I, I at least know what I need to get through the evening or to get me to the morning. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, I mean, one of the biggest challenges as a vegan is breakfast, you know, mm-hmm. kind of 
separating what we know as breakfast is eggs and bacon and like what you should be eating for breakfast. So it's kind of tough to mm-hmm. get started with breakfast. And sometimes you can only eat oatmeal so many times, right, you right, know? Right. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's just like, all I need is breakfast right now. And then I can figure out what I'm going to do the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's good advice. So Fontana, what are you, uh, what are you looking to accomplish this weekend? Um, I really like Fontana, so <clears throat> I, I definitely want to have a good race. We we had a really good weekend in Phoenix where we finished 22nd. And um, <clears throat> for our team, anywhere between 20th to 25th is like a good day. Like we're proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 25th to 30th is could be a good day, but it also could be disappointing. It depends on how the race played out. Um, 30th or worse, we feel like, you know, in any circumstance, we should run better than 30th. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so we'll go to Fontana and have the expectation of 25th or better. And, um, our team has some new cars this year. We've got a new engine program that we've invested in that's, that has just more power and they're, uh, it's just much better than what we had last Mm. year. So, um, even though we kind of dug ourselves in a little bit of a hole, the first couple of weeks we're we're just getting back into our rhythm and Phoenix was really encouraging for us to run as well as we did there. So we just kind of want to follow it up in Fontana and just continue what we did there. And what, is that like a good track for you? Like what kind of track do you excel at? And like, what is that, you know, what is that all about? Like, you know, the differences in the tracks and how that favors, you know, some racers over others. Um, I try to say I'm good at all of them. (laughs) I try to be good at all of them. They, they all kind of require a little bit of a different driving style and, and Phoenix is a short track. I mean, you, you know, heavy braking, you slow down into the corners and then you got to accelerate out of the corners. And, and, uh, and I do run really well at those racetracks consistently. Like I just always seem to run well at short mm-hmm. tracks. Uh, they, they require a lot of technique and, and, um, Fontana <clears throat> is a really big wide racetrack. There's, we kind of talked about it earlier. There's like six lanes you can run high and low and, and uh, Fontana is tough because you're just constantly searching. Like your car will not handle the same two laps in a row running the same line two laps in a row. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, you're just, you have to be ahead of it all the time. So, and it's also so big that the field um, always kind of stays on the same lap. They don't like, they don't get lapped. And then the people behind you are a lap behind you. Like they're always kind of on your lap. So you're just, you're constantly being challenged by the cars behind you. So you can have a really good day and run all the way up into 15th, 16th, 17th position. And at the end of the day, if there's a caution and then there's a final restart and there's 35 cars on the lead lap, it blows that. You, you can still finish 35th. Right. You know, there's no like, there's no cushion where it's like, okay, phew, we got 20 <clears throat> laps to go. And the worst I'm going to do is 20th. Like it's, it's not like that. So you really, you have to race. It's a Sunday is a 400 mile race. So, uh, you have to race all 400 miles of mm-hmm. it because you can have a good day all the way up to mile 399 and then, mm-hmm. you know, have a, make a mistake on the last lap and get passed by 10 cars Be on point the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it'll, it, it's interesting, but Fontana is, <clears throat> is really cool because the track is getting some age and racetracks get better with age. The more the pavement gets worn out, the more the cars slide around, the more it becomes a handling race and a driver skill mm-hmm. race. So when it the, favors the driver that really knows how to drive. Yeah, and and when the tracks when the tracks are brand new um, and they have brand new smooth pavement, they're really fast and they're exciting, um, but they just have so much grip that the fastest car 
usually Ooh. prevails or can prevail. I mean, um, but I mean, Fontana, if you turn on the TV, I mean, as the cars are bouncing around, they're bottoming mm-hmm. out, the drivers are getting jarred in their seats. You know, our seats are fully contained and we have these headrests that contain our helmets and are, they're bouncing around in it. Right. So it's just, it's, it's uncomfortable. And, and how much contact, like, <clears throat> are you banging into the other cars? Like, yeah. Is that like... <laughs> yeah, it is crazy, especially, <laughs> especially at like Fontana because it's such a big track that like just on restarts, like the, the field just fans out and there's five wide and you're just bouncing off other people's doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you try not to... Um, and then do you have to like replace panels on your car like all the time? Yeah. Yeah, we do. So if, I mean, if you bounce off of somebody's door and it dents it in, I mean, you gotta, you gotta replace it. It's, it's really at the big fast tracks, you don't want to hit any other cars because it kills the aerodynamics and, um, you lose downforce and your car doesn't handle good. But in a couple of weeks we'll go to Martinsville where the track is a half a mile and Fontana is a two mile track. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could fit four Martinsvilles right. inside of wow. Fontana and, and in Martinsville. I mean, you pretty much the only way to pass another car is to nerf them out of the way. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, uh, we go from one extreme to the other. Right. And what's the big, like, what's the A race? Like what's the, what's the biggest race? Of the the year Daytona 500. Daytona. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, um, but then we, we come up on, we race in Daytona twice, which the 500 in February is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in July we have the, the firecracker 400, which is a big race. Uh, which that's the classic name. I think it's called the Coke Zero 400 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we do get to race at the Brickyard in Indianapolis, which is cool. So That's cool. And do you think, like, you're going <clears> to <throat> stay in NASCAR, or do, would you ever make the leap to a different kind of, you know, car and um, racing, like IndyCar? No, and, you know, I, don't, like, I don't know. I mean, I— How does I, that work? Do, do drivers move around <clears> in between, or is it once you're in, you pick one and that's your thing? They do. Um, it's drivers have moved around, but um, you know, kind of tooting our own horn a little bit. They, if they do move, they're usually trying to get Moving to NASCAR. Towards you, um, drivers don't all don't often go away from NASCAR. I mean, they they kind of do. I mean, there's some drivers that have been in and out. But do they ever go to Formula One though? Um, like, that's a whole different. See, world. drivers haven't gone from NASCAR to Formula One. They've gone from Formula One to NASCAR. Uh huh. Um, and I think it's just, there's just so much money in NASCAR. It's such a big sport and mm-hmm. it's the drivers make so much money like at the top. And, and, um, I mean, it's the, you know, we just, NASCAR just signed a billion dollar a year That's TV crazy. contract. I mean, it's just like stupid money and it's, so it's hugely popular and, and people are, you know, definitely seeking our sport and, and, um, <clears throat> I mean, indie cars are really cool and I've, I've like thought about it mm-hmm. and, um, but I don't have know if I could any? Have you ever like done laps in that? Never, or? never driven no. an Indy car. No. Um, it would be an interesting. Least, you gotta at least get behind the wheel, <laughs> yeah, right? Try one. Um, but I don't know. I think I'd like to be like have my career wrapped up sometime after shortly after forty. Yeah. I think I got another twenty years in me. Yeah. So I mean, that's a long career as an athlete. I mean, it, and it NASCAR is. drivers have long careers, but just you know to travel that long, and you know by that time my kids will be you know, grown up and I know. So, well, dude, you've been, you started when you were 16. You've been <laughs> yeah, in the NASCAR, I know. You know? I know. This it's is like my ninth, amazing. this, so it's, this is my ninth annual credential. We call it a hard card. It's my uh-huh. ninth hard card. I got one when I was 17 and 18, 19, 21, two, three, four, five. It's my ninth hard card. Yeah. So what do you, uh, what do you just, what do you kick around town in? 
Like, do you have like a fancy, <laughs> like, what is it like when you're like, this is a question for Katie, actually. Yes. Slide the mic over to her. Yes. What's it like to be in the passenger seat when he's driving just around the streets of Charlotte? Um, that's funny that you asked because he got a lot of speeding tickets when we first <laughs> started yeah. dating and we we're first married because he was driving. He's being all cold trickle. He was driving BW or BMWs and fast cars and then he switched over to family vehicle. Uh-huh. It's been a lot better. Right. Like ran, yeah. around the time you got pregnant maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my wife, my wife drives a nice car in the family. Yeah. And uh, I drive a Honda Civic, actually. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's, hilarious. It's car, yeah. That's I, you so know, funny. I told you I grew up in the car. Business. You must be the only guy in NASCAR who drives a Honda Civic. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't like fall in love with cars. Like I just don't. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. But you're I not mean, like. Are you like rebuilding an old GTO in your no, garage or no, anything like that? No. No, uh, the romantic. Don't even have a garage. <laughs> we, we have a house and no garage in yeah. Charlotte. Uh, but yeah, no, I drive a Honda Civic. She she drives a nice car though, and you know I don't know. I I like cool cars, but I just don't fall. Growing up in the car business and stuff, and you know seeing the values drop, and I'm mean, I right. don't fall in love with things. So, uh-huh. but do I've you had. Have, do I've you have nice like toys, to... like motorcycles and boats and stuff like that? Got an expensive no. bicycle. That's about it. Yeah, your tri bike. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. What kind of what kind of tri bike you riding? I've got a P five. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's really nice. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So I'm not like on any sponsored bike deal or anything. I haven't mm-hmm. like seeked one out or anything like that. I didn't really, you know, I I kinda I wanted a nice bike. So I mm-hmm. um I had a friend that uh that's a dealer that kinda hooked me up with a right. a discount on the Surveilo because um because it's I mean it's a really nice high end mm-hmm. bike. Um but you know, like I didn't really want to like call around and like swing it. You know, at, at the time when I started, I was like, you know, I didn't even know if I was a triathlete yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. so I'm like trying to get some free stuff. Do you know? Uh, do you know Dave Mira? Um, I don't, but I think he like tweeted at me or Instagrammed at me when uh, Jimmy Johnson and I and Josh Wise, another NASCAR driver, we did a half Ironman together in J- January. But he's from North Carolina, or he lives in North Carolina. Yeah, he lives Carolina. in North Carolina. I follow him on Instagram. He's super. Yeah, he's super inspired. into it. He, yeah, he's super. I mean, he's. Treating it like he's a professional <clears throat> triathlete. Yeah. And he's an amazing brand ambassador for Cervelo. I think he did the same like you. He just he went and bought it and fell in love with it. But he was sharing it so much on his Instagram and everything like that. They were that. like, and we got to pay like, you yeah, for we this. Gotta, we got to rope this guy in. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but it was a good – they should because he's yeah. an amazing guy. and, he's and a, uh, He is a great ambassador. And do you see him on the rollers and stuff, what he's doing? On yeah. His? Like, he, yeah, he, pull, he pops up on <laughs> the rollers. I, I mean, mean, I guess he ought to. He's a – well, Pro he, BMX, yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah, you got to get out and incredible. do some training with him. That would How be far awesome. Away, where in North Carolina is he? I so he's, he's in. I can't remember if he's in Greenville or Greensboro, but I think he's. One of those, he's yeah. as close as an hour and a half, and probably a tops uh, two, two and a half hours away. Uh, you should, you should go. Definitely you, hook you up with hook him. It up. Yeah, so get a couple of training sessions in. We we train so like <clears throat> my closest friend in. In kind of our circle is Josh Wise, who's another. He's a driver, and he's a he's a triathlete, and he's been a triathlete longer than I have. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we kind of um, I've caught up to him a little bit, though, to the point that we can kind of like compete with each other a little, and and uh, and we're always one up in each other. And nice. it, it's funny you talk about like all the toys and stuff. Like I bought Norma Tech boots before he did, uh-huh. and so like as soon as I bought them, and then like <laughs> yeah, he used them, them once. Oh, he went and got them. And, uh-huh. And then, like, he shows up with, like, some new, like, you know, beat recovery drink. And he's right. like, 
you know, just check this out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where'd you get that? You know? Yeah, we're yeah, in different. Yeah, well, the best yeah. part is we're different age groups, so we train together and we race together, but not really against each other. Gotcha. You know, we do, but we don't. Gotcha. So, so what's the, so? What are you training for? What what triathlon race? So I'm I'm doing uh, Montremblant half in June. Cool. And uh, and the goal is to qualify for the half worlds, worlds which right. is in Austria. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably, I mean, I, I guess I, you know, it rolls off the tongue so easy that to say that I'm going to Montreblonde and I'm going to try to qualify for worlds. But, um, I mean, I've got, I've got to get fitter than I was in January mm-hmm. to do it. So it's a tall order. I probably got mm-hmm. a 5% chance of making it, but. Well, I mean, you're juggling <clears throat> so many different things. Plus you're about to be a dad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty soon here. So pretty psyched about that. Yeah. It's exciting. Do you know if it's a boy or a girl? We don't. You don't? Mm-hmm. <sighs> old school. Old school, yeah. She said she does, but she's not going to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your wife, Julie, said she knows. Oh, she does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Julie's very intuitive that way. Yeah. I, I, I told right her she too. needs to write it down and, and mail it to us or something, and we'll... Uh, She'll do that, too. And and we'll open it, like, the day of and see if see if she's right or something. Cool. That would actually be fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, well, thank you so much. All right, man. Well, that was uh, that was cool, man. I think we did it. Yeah, this was wonderful. What a day. Yeah, so awesome of you guys to come over here. I really appreciate it. You guys are delightful. <laughs> Absolutely delightful. Yeah, I'm so excited for your new addition to your family. And uh, have a great race this weekend, man. I wish I could go and, like, thank yeah. you so much for inviting me to come down. I got I have a wedding this weekend. Um, so I got to go up to Santa Barbara. I'm going to ride. No I'm going to ride my bike to Santa Barbara tomorrow. Are you really? How far? Meet up there. It's like 70, 80 miles or something like oh, that from here. Nice. Yeah, doing it with a group of friends. So that'd be cool. That should be cool. But so you uh, travel a lot, though, right? <clears throat> yeah, I've been traveling quite a bit. Okay. I might see. I'm going to speak at the uh, U.S. Olympic Training Center in like two weeks to the USA Swimming National Junior Team. Oh wow. I think Dave Marsh might be there. I'm not sure. Oh, that'd be I know great. There's, a, there's going to be some of the, you know, some of the elite coaches are going to be there. I'll have to check and see if he is. But if he's there, I'm, I'm going yeah. to say hey to Definitely. him and tell him that we hooked up. Definitely. He'll tell you, uh, tell you about my stroke or something. Yeah, you got to get you got to get Ryan Lochte down and get you know, <laughs> yeah, in your car. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It'd probably be easier to get Tyler Clary in when he's more interested <laughs> yeah. in the racing. But, is he? Yeah, but uh, but those guys are really the, those guys. That group is really nice. Just they're all uh, every time I swim, they're always like kind of like I'll finish a set and they'll be like, "You need to, you know, this that." Oh, they're helping you, know, you they're, out. They're always That's pretty great. cool. Yeah. That's cool. He's he's uh Dave Dave works him pretty hard though. It's pretty mm. it's just amazing to watch those guys swim. Like just the elite swimmers. I mean, you can you can go you can go to a golf event and watch Tiger Woods hit a ball and you can watch LeBron James play basketball up close, but like you can't actually do it with them, you mm. know, but like in Charlotte, and I'm sure there's other swim clubs around the country where, you know, if you knew when those guys practiced, you could. But, like, I mean, they, I don't know if they would get mad at me. They practice at Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 a.m. Uh, you know, if you want to go to Charlotte. Rush. <laughs> I mean, but really, and everybody uh-huh. knows that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, they've got their own lanes, and then the rest of it is public. Right. And you can swim in the lane next to those guys and compare what yourself. And right. it's like, I can't even, you know. I can't even sprint as fast as their aerobic speed, you yeah, know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's, amazing. it's amazing. And I just, you know, I swam at a pretty high level, but now when I see what those guys are doing, like I can't even fathom like yeah. the times that they're going, like it's a completely different sport. When it, it, it reaches a point where like watching them isn't about strength and speed. It's just about efficiency. 
mm-hmm. like just this is just the amount of strokes that they take right or just just watch ryan lochte you know dolphin kick underwater on his back oh it's it's crazy the the economy of motion like it's his body's barely moving and he's going faster than he can swim on the surface yeah you know it's crazy it's an extraordinary thing so you're in good hands. we can talk forever i know (laughs) cool well uh best of luck in the race thank you um, very much this weekend that's exciting i'll be cheering from afar and uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Southern California. If we you guys want to hook up with Landon, they can go to your website. Land is it Casile? How do you Landon say your Castle. last name? Castle. Yeah. Landon Castle. Two S's, two, and then I L L. Yeah. And then you're just Landon Castle on Instagram Twitter and, and Twitter Instagram, and all those yeah. kind of places. So give him a shout. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I've uh, been pretty into Instagram lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of missed the Instagram boom. Um, but I was in Instagram early and then I missed the boom. Like I just wasn't active in it. Um, and I've, I've liked Instagram because, uh, cause I really connect with people in it cause you know, people post their own photos. So, right. um, typically when people like my photos, I'll like, look at your profile and if you post some cool photos, I'll like one. So, yeah, cool. um, so I do that and, uh, and then Twitter is the same and it's just my name. It's right. the hashtag. So I like your Instagram cause it's like. It's this juxtaposition of like super intense race car racing and then like you training. Like yeah. you're, you're like transparent with like you're at the pool, you're running, you know, it's like an active lifestyle. Thing. Yeah, it's pretty it's fun. Cool. I've kind of created this habit of just like carrying my little lens that I put on my iPhone with me and a little mm-hmm. tripod and I try to take a picture and just get good content and some people seem to enjoy it. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. All right, dude. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thanks for the smoothie too. <laughs> Peace. Plants. Vroom, 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 I love NASCAR. Nice guy, right? Oh my God, such a nice guy and so inspiring. So I really enjoyed that and I hope you guys did too. So give me a solid. Let's give Landon a shout out on Twitter or Facebook uh, to put a little wind in his sails for his post Coca Cola 614 mile run. That would be really cool. And let me know what you thought of this episode in the comments section on the episode page at richroll.com. Hey, listen, our new cookbook and lifestyle guide, The Plant Power Way, it's out. People are loving it. We've got 130 reviews on Amazon at the moment that I'm recording this, Uh, 124 of which are five-star, overwhelming support. I'm so grateful for all the incredible feedback and for everybody who's been sharing the enjoyment of the recipes. I really love uh, all the Instagramming people are preparing the recipes, and it's such an amazing feeling to see a little slice of our life start to uh, make a difference in other people's life. I'm so glad people are liking it. It just warms my heart, and that's why we wrote the book. So if you have yet to uh, check out the book, you can pick up a copy at your favorite online retailer, but I'd much prefer it if you go to your local independent bookseller. Let's support our independent bookstores, you guys. Also, I think it's important to talk to your librarian. Go to your local library, see if they have it on order yet or if it's in the library. If not, tell them that you'd like them to order it. And usually librarians will immediately order it. You know, they want to have the books on hand that people are interested in perusing. And that way, people that might not be able to afford the book still have an opportunity to check it out. So thanks for all the love. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And again, thank you for using the Amazon banner at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. We're going to be doing some Q&A episodes coming up soon. So if you have a question that you would like me to answer, email it to info at richroll.com. 
Also, uh, if you're not doing so already, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Rich Roll there. I started doing relatively frequent Periscope Q&A chat. So Periscope, if you don't know, is a live broadcasting app that kind of operates through Twitter um, where I kind of broadcast live and take questions from followers and audience members. And I'm really enjoying that. It's a really fun way for me to connect with you guys a little bit more intimately and in real time. So I'll be uh, scheduling some of those over the next week. And I'm going to try to make that a part of my regular routine. For all the information, education, products, tools, resources, and inspiration you need to take your health, your wellness, your fitness, your self-actualization to the next level, go to richroll.com, check out our nutrition products, our educational products, our books, and yes, our garments, all made with 100% organic cotton, not carton, cotton. Uh, And we have some new garments in development right now. We're going to be coming out soon with some cool new t-shirts, tank tops, and hoodies. So stay tuned for that, and I'll be making announcements about that when it when it comes to fruition. If you dig online courses, I've got two of those at mindbodygreen.com, The Art of Living with Purpose, which is all about goal setting, unlocking that authentic best version of yourself, and also The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, which is about three and a half hours of you know, how we do what we do with respect to food, diet, nutrition, and athletic performance. It kind of takes a tip from our book, The Plant Power Way, but kind of shows you tools and and ways of really implementing that to make that lifestyle shift. So you can go there. Again, it's at mindbodygreen.com. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for telling a friend. Thank you for sharing it on social media, spreading the word. That's how we grow this pirate ship. So I appreciate that. And I will see you guys in a few. So make it a great week, everybody. Peace. Plants. Yeah.